Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, folks around the world, welcome back. This is Hot Takes Only, episode 44. Willie, we haven't done one of these episodes in quite a long time. No. We got a lot to catch up on, but the focus of today's episode, uh, as we record this on October 21st, 2021, is going to be, no surprise between the two of us, the MLB postseason. We were just talking about this before I hit record. We've had an incredible postseason thus far, and it feels like every year is the best postseason, and it just keeps getting one-upped year after year after year. Last year, we had the most postseason games just by virtue of having an extra round and four added teams. Uh, or was it... No, just just one extra... Uh, no, yeah. There were oh, more teams in the playoffs. We'll put we it that way. Teams. We had, we had uh, the... Expand- yeah, three, right? Seven. The, like seven. Yeah, expanded formats. Yeah. Uh, but regardless, we've had an amazing postseason thus far, and we'll, we'll talk about the NLCS Game 3 specifically, one that Willie and I were fortunate enough to go to at Dodger Stadium on Tuesday of this week. But, Willie, we've had a crazy postseason so far, and, you know, it, it's slowly winding down, which is a little bittersweet, but we're getting really into the, the nitty-gritty of it all. Yeah, it's been incredible, and like you said, it always feels like that every year. And um, we're going to have some great content on today's show, and I think that to be perfectly honest, I think the Atlanta, the Houston and Boston series is great, and I think the Atlanta and Dodgers series has so much juice that could, it could go either way. And I think that there are so many Atlanta fans right now on the edge of their seat, you know, getting going to be all in their head in the next 48 hours about what what to make of what just transpired in Game Five. So I look forward to doing a reaction on the show. I, I think it'll be really exciting. Yeah, you know, it's it's almost like your your co-host of this podcast is an Atlanta sports fan who knows how this story goes every single time. Yeah. Uh, Willie, what did I say after? I mean, we'll talk about game three in a little bit specifically, but what did I tell you after that game ended? What what words did what three words did I tell you after that game? And and I, I was wrong uh, as far as the, the specific part of of what I told you. But what did I tell you? It said Dodgers and six. Dodgers and six. It can't be Dodgers and six, but it will be Dodgers and seven. And wow. I, I'm going to say this right now. I have never wanted to be wrong about anything in my entire life more than I want to be wrong about this. But yeah. the the weight of evidence that I have, the stat that they uh, shared on the broadcast, and my lifetime of watching Atlanta sports teams be bridesmaids for how many different times and and choke in how many different big moments across the board we're not just talking about the braves we're talking about the falcons too obviously we're talking about georgia we're talking about the hawks every single time that a team that plays in the state of georgia has a remote chance at winning a championship they have to shoot themselves in the foot and create just a bizarre circumstance that puts them in the record books for the wrong reason yeah yeah i think um you know let me ask you this i mean big picture and i mean whenever you you say it we can dive all into the details in the game of what it means but i mean I, i i think do you one of the interesting things that you said to me after game three was we were talking about how the way in which it happened you know the could would you chalk you know if you had lost in kind of a blowout like this game you know you could have said it's a bad day but the way in which it happened would give the the dodgers momentum because of the way the atlanta blew the lead and because of the way they rallied late and one unexpected and surely enough 
I cannot, it was so surprising that they came out and really got, you know, steamrolled in game four. And other than a couple runs early in the game, the Braves just stomped on them. And so today we have the flip side of the argument where really, you know, uh, you know, Freddie Freeman hit a home run in the first inning, but the Dodgers had that breakout game that we're expecting. So I'm curious, do you feel the same way now? Do you think the Braves should feel better, you know, be objectively speaking on, do you think that the, the Braves should feel better because this wasn't a collapse and that, yeah, you can chalk this up as a bad day, a freak day where two players in the Dodgers hit five home runs and, and you know, and Max Freed has his, loses his first game in a few months, you know. Do you, do you think the team should feel better about that? Yeah, I guess the thing I would say about, about how to feel about the whole thing, Jimmy Rollins put this very, very succinctly on the broadcast in the, the post-game show. He said, in this scenario, you would want to be... Like you can tolerate a blowout easier on the flight back to Atlanta than you can a very close game. If it's a blowout, like we said about game three, oh, it's easier to brush it off. Okay, you know, they, they beat us here. They had a better game plan. They outplayed us top to bottom. That was the Braves yesterday. Game three was a different one. And the only reason I thought that was going to carry into game four is because the fact that the Dodgers were able to, following their bullpen game, turn to, or sorry, after a, a big comeback, they turn to Julio Urias, who has been so good for the Dodgers over the last couple of years, especially in the postseason. He has been one of their most consistent performers, and he wasn't 100% yesterday. And the Braves, for the first time, players other than Freddie Freeman, Ozzy Albies somewhat, and Austin Riley has been really, really... He's played really poorly in LA, but outside of that, he's been good in the series. Hmm. It's the first time that players have really stepped up besides that, and obviously, Eddie Rosario has been one of the hottest hitters in this entire series, and he was a big part of yesterday's win, but it's just... it's Yesterday, you felt like, okay, this Braves team is actually kind of turning it around a little bit, Mm -hmm. and we may see... You know something different in game five we may see actually you know this isn't going to go the way we think it's going to go because this series has been weird but no it turns around and it, it, it's more of what you would expect to do- from the dodgers but one game after when you would expect that so this sure. was definitely coming and being down three one you're back against the wall when you are the defending champion is more of a kind of kick in the ass a motivator that you really do need that I think is more beneficial than not. And they took full advantage. The, what what bothers me about today, though, is is the fact that... who I don't know if this is a Travis Darno or Rick Kranis, the pitching coach for the Braves, or Snitker, or just Max Fried, but wanting to attack one of the best fastball-hitting teams with fastballs when you have plus-plus off-speed stuff is a mystery to me. If you're Max Freed and you possess 94, 95, great. But don't throw it when you're trying to get a strikeout. Throw that pitch to establish that you can command the strike zone. Don't throw it when you're trying to strike out Cody Bellinger or strike out or ambush AJ Pollock or ambush Chris Taylor. Throw it to establish something early, but maybe not first pitch. Maybe throw him off a little bit with one, the really good curveball. I mean, there, there's a reason that people talk about Max Freed in the same sentence as Clayton Kershaw, as far as just the profile of, of his stuff, 
We talk about the fastball, we talk about the slider, and we talk about the curveball. Clayton Kershaw is known for those three pitches, exactly. And you, you kind of think, okay, well, he, he's got good stuff. Is he going to attack the Dodgers the same way that the Dodgers beat the Braves on Tuesday, which was, what did they do? They beat Luke Jackson's fastball. Well, we'll talk about Game 3 again, but it, it's just that that, to me, is a little more... It's a more like this was the Dodgers we expected to see from Game Four, but we saw it in Game Five. Is that what you saw? Is that what you saw wrong with Max Fried's performance today? What do you feel like felt? To preface this, you know he's fourteen and zero, I believe, in his last. Was that right? Four, not not. Well, yeah, in his last fourteen starts. Uh, yeah, one one loss in his last fourteen or something like that. Incredible. And so, mm-hmm. and his la- the only the last time he would lost was at Dodger Stadium. And so is exactly. That- is that what you felt went wrong in the game? You felt like it was it was just kind of bad bad game plan. And, and I think I think so. And and a little bit also. I, I would give the Dodgers credit for, you know, for really honing in their approach and and not trying to you know beat beat the Braves with home runs and you know the big extra base hits. It's more so just pass the baton to the next guy and. You know, Chris Taylor, when he hit the home run in the wild card game, which we again, we'll, we'll go back and, and review the, the the postseason as it has been up until today. But Chris Taylor, when he hit the walk off home run against St. Louis in the wild card game, he said he wasn't trying to do too much. He just got a pitch he could handle, put a good swing on it. Trey Turner today had, I think, two or three hits, all of them in the opposite field. And that you could tell in all of those swings, he wasn't trying to hit the ball out of the yard. He wasn't trying to hit the ball down the line. He wasn't trying to hit the ball from gap to gap. He was just trying to stay inside of it and shoot it the other way through the shift and it worked cody bellinger same thing cody bellinger had a few hits the cody bellinger's first hit is that's when i started to realize and you and i talked about this on, on tuesday during the game we thought okay cody bellinger is a really good hitter against fastballs like the rest of the team why would you challenge him with another fastball when he's already fouled one off and he's on it even if it's you know, six, seven feet in the air. I mean, what's what's the guarantee that he's not going to tomahawk it into center field? It, you know, th- there is no real guarantee of that. And and so it goes back to the game plan that the Braves had for the Dodgers, but also the Dodgers coming out and just showing everyone why they are the defending champs and why they went out and got a guy like Trey Turner to make that lineup even scarier. It, it's, it's, a, it's a combination of the two to answer your initial question. It's game plan it's execution and it's just sometimes you know like last night dodgers have to tip their hats to the braves braves have to do the same tonight and the playing back to atlanta you know the braves are gonna be thinking okay well we have to win one of two games at our home at our ballpark in front of our fans with ian anderson on the mound against max scherzer who the braves have have not struggled against but they you know they they know how to get to him they've gotten to him in this series they they didn't knock him out of the game easily but they they knew that they could bother him enough to get to the bullpen and make it really difficult. And when you have a guy like Eddie Rosario, who's on top of his game, Freddie Freeman's starting to hit again. Ozzy Albies is heating up a little bit. Austin Riley, you have to imagine, can't stay in this funk forever. So it's lining up to be one of the better game sixes we've had in recent memory. But again, as an Atlanta sports fan, we've seen this movie a thousand times and a thousand times the outcome is going to be the same. Yeah, so I'll, I'll respond to a couple things to what you said. I think that, and my summation is that I will, as a disclaimer, 
as I told you, I do think Atlanta will win the series. However, if I was an Atlanta fan with all the history and with what specifically, in my opinion, how this game five played out, I actually feel the opposite. I actually think that a close loss would have scared me less than in, than a breakout performance. And here is the flip side about why the Dodgers could very well feel very confident. Uh, and part of it has to do with the approach to the game, like you were talking about, which I and part of it has to do with the personnel. So, first of all, with regards to the the Dodgers pitching, um, you did mention that the Braves got to Max Scherzer. They knocked him out in the fifth inning. He gave up two runs. However, he you know he was pitching with the dead arm, and one of the ways, and you know, as coming into this game. There was lots of, you know, publicity about the Dodgers' legacy and Dave Roberts. And I think it's true, as a Braves fan, truthfully, Braves fans should be scared because, you know, Max Scherzer going into Game 6 will have full rest. It'll be the first time this whole postseason he's had full rest. If they made it to a Game 7, Walker Buehler presumably would pitch with full rest. And presumably you could say, we don't know for sure, but... Urias, um, Scherzer, and Bueller got hit very hard, and part of it's definitely due to the good hitting. Part of it you could also say was, you know, Scherzer and Urias pitching out of the bullpen, Bueller pitching three day three days rest and then full, so presumably some tired. So there's a question about whether they can revert to their mean. And then as a hitting, specifically how this game went down, yes, you have some, you have, uh, you, you have Cody Bellinger hitting like the MVP, truthfully, the way he's hitting this postseason. And one of the things people talked about was the Dodgers need, you know, they had a few hot hitters and they need more hot guys. The lineup was really struggling. But now all of a sudden Trey Turner, the batting champion from the season, busted out of his slump, like you said, opposite three hits, you know, opposite field hit in the first inning. Um, you have Justin Turner goes out probably in addition through subtraction because he's in the all-time worst slump you know, for him. And then, like you said, um, the the general approach, you know, the Dodgers are at their best when, yes, they're hitting home runs, but lots of people are talking about they're shorting up on the swing. And then one of the things that the Dodgers really struggled with, particularly, I thought, at certain parts of this series watching was their plate discipline. I think they they struggled to hit good brave stuff out of the zone. And I think you could see it at, at the initial part of the game where they, they made Freed even the first inning work. He was throwing a lot of pitches, getting good pitches to hit, you know, shortening up the swing. And so I do think Atlanta will win the series, but that's def that's definitely the case for, for the Dodgers, uh, why they could win the series. No, and and look, the, the pessimistic Atlanta sports fan that I am is going to tell you that the Dodgers will win the series and the Braves are going to choke again in another 3-1 lead. And to me, it's one of those things where it it doesn't it doesn't matter a whole lot who's doing what. It's just you are conditioned to to think a certain way as an Atlanta sports fan or to believe something about your team. I mean, having, you know, this is like Harrison said way back when when he was on the show last year. It, it, it's you can't have a an amount of hope that will cause you any sort of pain. And so you just teach yourself, you know what? We're 
we're going to try to have as low expectations as we can as fans and just try to enjoy it for what it is. The problem is when you do get so close and when you do get the Dodgers down three games to one in back-to-back seasons, the expectation has to go from we were not supposed to be here to we need to win one game at home. That has to be the expectation. And it's it's going to be the first three innings of Saturday are going to be the most indicative of how this series is going to finish because we know what the Dodgers are capable of, but the Dodgers know what the Braves are capable of. And mm. it's one of those things where for every now hot hitter the Braves have, or the Dodgers have, excuse me, the Braves have one. And for every hot hitter the Braves have, the Dodgers have one. Freddie Freeman was... Stri- he Seven of his first eight played appearances in this series were strikeouts. Yeah. And one was, I think, a flyout or a groundout. Mm. 0 for 8 in his first eight played appearances, seven strikeouts. Mm. He's out of that for sure. Home runs yep. and back-to-back games. On the same, at the same time, Trey Turner, who is probably the most important player in that lineup, if if you were to ask me right now, because you know what you're going to get out of Mookie Betts, you know what you're going to get out of Corey Seager, but if you can get Trey Turner going, the fastest player in baseball, to hit third or second in your lineup, if he gets going, then the Dodgers are always going to be a threat to score, which means the Braves bullpen is going to get going, which means. Yeah. The likelihood of seeing Will Smith with a run one uh, one run game if you're the Dodgers, that's what you want to see. You want Will Smith up there because Will Smith is a he's a heart attack waiting to happen for Braves fans. It's not fun watching him pitch. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it again. He's he has been really good in the postseason, but yeah. he's going to the rest of the meet at some point. And if it's in game seven at the very end of the game, I'll go, you know what? Should have seen it coming. So and we what, did. One one interesting thing. And you make a lot of great points. And I think I think one one point I, I do really want to make, which I think is a very overlooked point about this, is you're absolutely right. Like the Braves have played historically great offense in this series against incredible Dodger pitching. And you know, Eddie Rosario's been hot. You know, Jack Peterson before today was hitting well. Freddie Freeman busted out of slumps, hit a few homers. Uh, you know, Ozzy Albies has definitely Played well, Austin Riley in the first couple games, but um, it's pretty much for the most part all off the the three starters for the Dodgers. The Dodgers bullpen, including Urias when he was pitching out of the bullpen in Game Two when they when they blew him out. The Dodgers bullpen is historically great. They are one of the most deep and loaded bullpens I've ever seen, and for the most part, both bullpens have really shut the other team down for the most part, other than in that Game Two. Where, you know, uh, like I said, Urias pitched out of the bullpen. But that, you know, other than that. And so I think that what I want to see is you mentioned how great the the Braves offense is. I want to see can they hit the bullpen. So what I want to see is I want to see how the Braves play from behind. Because now the pressure is on them with all the stuff from last year. And the Dodgers bullpen has been really great. And so I want to see if in game six, if the, they get down early, what happens? Because in, you know, in games, uh, you know, three and, you know, game, uh, you know, the Braves have not proven that in this series, other than the net game two, uh, you know, that they can come from behind. And, you know, in game four, they were ahead uh, the, the whole way. And uh, game five, they got down and they crumbled. You know, they they were never in the game. So I want to see 
if they can, with the pressure and with the big guns out there, can they win? Which is why I think it's crucial that, you know, which is, and so anyways, I say this because it's pretty crazy to say, you could say, it's like the Dodgers have never played from the lead this whole series, right? And typically teams with great bullpens, they have to have the lead or be in the game to use the bullpen. So I want to see, you know, what happens with regards to that. That I think will be really interesting. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And there's there's a lot of, I think, a lot of really important things to think about if you are a Braves fan. I know a lot of us are going to be fixated on, okay, we need to beat Max Scherzer in Game 6 because this can't go to Game 7. Yeah. The difference between this season and last season, other than the personnel and losing Ronald Acuna Jr. and Marcelo Zuna and Mike Soroka, which Mike Soroka wasn't a part of last season's team, but not having him again for this season after you thought you were going to have him is an even bigger kick in the groin. Uh, but but thinking about what it's like from a psychological perspective to be down against a team like the Dodgers, when you have Bruce Gratterall throwing 103, looking like he's trying to throw 95, mm-hmm. when you have Kenley Jansen, who's been nails in the postseason, basically yeah. since he returned to his role as a starter after you know being booed off the mound at Dodger Stadium. We'll talk about Dodger Stadium a little bit because I, ha- I have I have something I want to I want to share with everyone. That does not really sit right with me. And yeah. and you saw it again today. I don't know if you caught it towards the end of the game, Willie. Um, yeah. But the difference between last season and this season is the one difference that COVID is, was, was likely to bring. It's fans. It's home field advantage really having an impact on this series. Mm. Home teams in this series yeah. are... They, they've won the majority of their games. Four Braves haven't lost a game at home. Dodgers lost one game at home. Four and one. Four and exactly. One. Yep. Four and one at home through the first five games. That is a huge, huge thing. And mm-hmm. it, it's, it's the combination of familiarity and the team getting behind you. Atlanta fans know exactly what happened last year. Braves fans are not going to let you forget how they feel about blowing a 3-1 lead. These are the same sports fans, by and large, that also like the Falcons, who we know how that went a few years ago. So Braves fans know. We, we know exactly how this goes down. You can bet that Truist Park is going to be loud. Not quite Dodger Stadium loud, because you know there's 10,000 more seats at Dodger Stadium, which is bizarre to think about, but it's actually... The capacity at Truist Park is about 41,000. Dodger Stadium is about 55,000. So yeah. it's going to be louder. But... Never underestimate how important a home field is. Yeah, and I think, and yeah, go ahead. Sorry. The the just that extra potential half inning is mm. potentially it, it could make the difference in this series. I mean, the Braves had to walk off on the Dodgers twice. Yeah. In games one and two, if we're playing at a neutral site where the Dodgers have home field, does that go the same way? I don't think it does. I think being at home and having that extra, we have our fans behind us. We can do something special. We've come from behind all year. We've had XYZ thing happen to us repeatedly all year. It, you know, it's not impossible. No. And I think, I think, I think you make a really good point, which we can't ignore, which is, and I think, you know, truthfully, I think, um, I don't know. I, I think, you, is a you, there could potentially be some complaints with the MLB because yeah the Dodgers won 15 more games in the regular season and should deserve the home field advantage but you're right it makes a huge difference and I think 
the fact that Atlanta has the home field advantage. And like you're right, specifically the games, way the games have played out. You know, in game one, you know, watching that game, you know, it was neck and neck the whole way, basically. It was basically within one run or tied the whole game. And it just felt like the pressure at home, the at home, the crowd and the pressure every bottom of the inning was building. And you felt right at the end of the game that they would get the winning hit. And surely they did off of Trinan. And then in the other game, the other close games in the series, one that the Dodgers won game three and the one the Braves won game two, certainly the loud crowd noises when they get in those, when they have the last at bats and they and they get the the at bats in the you know eighth inning both times made a huge difference. So you're absolutely right about about the home field advantage. Um, but I will say this: I do think, you know, I do wonder how that feels in the, if if we were to get all the way to a game seven how that would feel if all of a sudden the Braves are in a tough situation. Do you think they would play less free and they could be, you could feel it in the crowd, the nerves and the anxiety and and the pressure of the choking. So maybe there is a case where if we got that far, then maybe the crowd, it would actually put more pressure on the team and serve as a disadvantage. I'm not sure. No, no, that's, that's a fair point as well. The, the, you know, and, and it's, it's funny you bring that up because that's a good segue into the point I want to bring up about Dodger stadium. I'll talk about that in a second. Well, quick, uh, uh, I just want to say real quick to that, I, I feel like that was the case for, you could probably say for Cleveland in Game 7 in 2016. You know, both teams. But I just want to throw that out there. Go ahead, sorry. No, 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 no. It's, it's uh, you know, it's a... It's a, it's a valid point. What I would say, I, I think it would have... It, it can potentially have that negative impact where the players are going to feel a little tense. The fans yeah. are going to get on them. And it's going to be a different scenario. But there's... What I would say with... And this is obviously, again, from a Braves perspective. That this is not the same group of players... This is a completely set of players, completely different set of players who have been through circumstances that a lot of teams, had they had the same thing happen to them, would not be in this position. The Braves lost the front runner for NL MVP on July 10th. Acuna Jr. was the front runner for National League MVP when he had his season season ending injury against the Marlins. Mm -hmm. He was the front runner for NL MVP. Ahead of Harper, ahead of Tatis, ahead of everyone else in the National League. He's the heart and soul of the Braves franchise. And he goes down for the season and probably until early spring training. Yeah. And so what does Alex Anthopoulos do as GM of the Braves? He goes out and gets Jorge Soler. He gets Jock Peterson. He gets Adam Duvall. And he gets Eddie Rosario. Rosario was injured at the time. Yep. Duvall was producing, but for a pretty mediocre team. Peterson was in and out of the Cubs starting lineup and the Cubs were struggling and Soler was struggling for a last place or second to last place Royals team. So no one on that lit, no one from that list is someone you'd say, this guy's going to change the team. This guy's going to be the, be the difference maker. This guy's going to be the impact player. All of them have been impact players in different ways. It hasn't been one guy. It's been all of them at different times. Yeah. Coupled with the fact that one of the reasons the Braves are, I guess, as loose as they are right now, for the most part, is Guillermo Heredia. There was an article in The Athletic about Guillermo Heredia being kind of the one guy who's keeping everyone laughing and kind of loose in the clubhouse. 
he has barely played, and when he has played, he was part of the the incident in game two that caused uh, the Braves to go behind late in the game. And he's the reason everyone's staying so loose. This is not the same group of players that mm-hmm. was not supposed to be there. And and let's also remember this from last season. Ian Anderson was a rookie. How many career starts did he have, let alone postseason starts, until the NLCS? Charlie Morton played for the Tampa Bay Rays yeah. last year. Max Freed had one postseason under his belt. Mm-hmm. Maybe two. But even so, 2018 was an aberration. That team was not good enough to, to beat anybody. 2019, we don't talk about Game 5 against the Cardinals. So, at the end of the day, this is not the same team. There, a lot of the same pieces are still there, and a lot of the heartbreak and the pain and the memories are still there. But there's an added layer to it of players who haven't been in this position before or players who have been in this position on the other team. Jock Peterson, for one. Mm-hmm. So this is a team that as you can listen to anything Brian Snitker or Freddie Freeman or any of the anyone associated with the team will say. They say after game three, which would have destroyed the Braves last year. I mean, game three would have killed any sort of morale whatsoever last year. But the Braves bounced back and they played really well in game four. And tonight you would say, okay, well, the Dodgers beat us. But then again, they are the defending champions playing at home with their backs against the wall. You can't expect them to just roll over and play dead no matter how good you are. Because even if you think you're at the top of your game and the Braves had one of the best records in baseball since the All-Star break, if not the best, Mm -hmm. then... You know, guess who else is up there on that list? The Dodgers. So you're talking about two heavyweights going at it. One's got their back against the wall. Last potential home game of the season. You think they're going to go down without any sort of any sort of fight? No. And they they capitalized on mistakes that that Braves players made. Chris Taylor's first home run today was a fastball right down the middle sure. for Max Fried. That's mm. a mistake. Taylor's a first pitch swinger. If he saw one, he saw one. He liked it and he crushed it. Mm. So it's those kinds of things that make a difference it's it it, it, it's so evenly matched willie that i think there's in in a normal circumstance with everyone healthy i think there's no way the braves are in this series but it's because they're not healthy because they've had to go through the adversity they have all season long that they're able to play in this situation a lot more free than they did last year so it's interesting you say that i have a lot of thoughts and you you made a lot of very interesting uh points there i would say so first of all i would say this i would say that i do just want to mention that despite the freeness um i do think like we as we talked i was saying before that uh, the Braves bullpen has also been incredible, really incredible. They've really shut down, with the exception of Luke Jackson, the Dodgers lineup, uh, with you know Chavez and Smith and Matzik and Minter. And however, um, Ian Anderson has a really spotty track record in these two Dodgers series. I mean, he, if you remember going back to. Last year, game two, he didn't make it out of the fifth inning. Uh, pitched pretty well, but he only pitched four innings. Game seven, 
he really struggled, only pitched three innings. And then his first start in this series, he only pitched a few innings. He got hit pretty hard. So um, I would say that, uh, just on one note, that I do think that the Dodgers will look forward to not having to get to relievers and potentially get a few runs off him. Now, with regards to what you said, I do think that you make a really good point that with the acquisitions the Braves made at the, at the trade deadline, um, they have players that were scarred last year. You have, um, and, and you know, you like you said, you have players Ian Anderson and, and Max Fried. You know, a year older. Um, that's very true. However, what I would just say is this: I would say, number one, I don't know whether it was pressure or not, but as we just, we talked about. Uh, Max Fried did not pitch well today, um, you know, and and number two, um, I think it's important to remember that, you know, the Dodgers, they were the dynasty, have been the dynasty that never was, you know. There was a good you know article about ESPN about it, and you know, they have been. So my point about that is sometimes, really good teams they have to go through their lumps. And it's not that easy. You you might just, you know, not be, you have to, and, you know, and so this group, again, might have to go through their lumps again. You know, it's not that simple. And so, yeah, I would say definitely that the, the team is older and, and wiser. But, um, you know, there there's there's no guarantee that, like I said, that'll, that'll translate. So, um it's interesting, and I, I. But but on something uh, interesting, do you do you think that Jorge Soler will play? Do you think he could be a a factor, or do you think Jock Peterson has to has to stay in the lineup? And also, do you think do you think that um, Adam Duvall would would ever get a place on the bench? Because other than uh, for the most part, this series, other than a couple of really key moments, I mean, he really this whole postseason, he really has not been that good. So, uh, Duvall or for Duvall, who are you talking about? Duvall? Yeah. I'm asking, do you think there's a possibility that Soler will play one and then two that, uh, Duvall would, would maybe not play? Well, it's, it's going to be a toss up between Soler and Peterson. Soler obviously has been out of, he's been out of it for the last little while. You know, I'm sure he's been, he's been working out of it, you know, if he can and, and trying to stay as sharp as possible. But when he missed that much time due to, you know, because of the COVID yeah. uh, time spent on the COVID IL, then then you're not going to be as sharp as you usually would. No, no. And with, with Max Scherzer uh, on the, on the bump, you have to think that Snitker is going to want another left-handed thump, left-handed power bat in the lineup, have some extra thump from the left side to go mm-hmm. against, you know, one of the premier power pitchers of, of this, this generation. Uh, so I personally would, if I had to guess, you know, I'm not a baseball man. I'm not a manager. I'm not a former player. I wouldn't know, but it, you would have to assume he would want jock in the lineup to just have that potential to change a game with one swing of a bat, because it is the finest of margins. That's going to decide these games. And if Scherzer just misses a spot by a little bit when he's throwing 94, 95, 96, Mm. Jock Peterson can handle the heat. He can handle the he can handle the fastball. Yeah. And that's not someone you want to miss to. Couple with the fact that Freddie Freeman's starting to hit again. Eddie Rosario is is the hottest hitter on the team. And Ozzy Albies is it, it, 
he's you know he's kind of a coin flip in the postseason but you you never know what you're gonna get but it hasn't been as abysmal as you you may have thought mm-hmm. so you know i and and i don't think that means that duvall is is on the bench either i mean he's, i think him hitters though what I think are... he's the, he's in the same boat though because he's he has done better as of late. I mean, obviously, yes, he's had his struggles, and he's he's a yeah. player who's he's liable to strike out more than he is, you know, to maybe have a big hit in the postseason. But just the fact that he has that in his mm. in his rolodex, he's had the experience of that. Because look at what happened in games three and four at Dodger Stadium. For the vast majority of both of those games, the Braves outplayed the Dodgers. Yep, the vast did. majority. It came down to. Luke Jackson missing his spot and not missing it in the right place. It was he he missed a spot. It was higher than he was intending, and he thought it was going to be a ball. But you have to understand that that's Cody Bellinger, who's probably going to be able to catch up to that. He's one of the best fastball hitters in in the game right now, especially with that much power from the left side. So Mm -hmm. that aside, and and does that mean the Dodgers get back into the game even without that home run? Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But for the vast majority of games three and game four, Atlanta played from the lead and they played using the same kind of baseball that they played throughout the entire second half of the season. Mm. Is it sustainable through the postseason? I don't know, but you have to, you have to think there's a chance. This is the issue though. Thinking there is a chance is the most dangerous thing you can do as an Atlanta sports fan. And mm-hmm. getting your hopes up. So I want to be wrong. And I want you to be right with your take, Willie. I would love for you to be right that the Braves are going to win this series. Yeah. Just based off of, of what I understand to be the case, I don't I don't see it. Does does that contradict everything I've said about it? Does it seem like I'm more positive? Probably, but that's also because that it's trying to convince yourself that this is going to be different from last year when you know deep down, as someone who's had your heart broken repeatedly. This is the same thing, just waiting to happen. I mean, and, and they, they shared a stat on the broadcast today. The Braves, in their franchise, have been 3-1 up in a series five different times, last year included. They have won none of those. So, quite literally, blowing a 3-1 lead is stitched into the fabric of this franchise. Yeah. It is going to happen again. I want to be wrong. I don't think I will be. Well, that is an incredible stat, Owen. Uh, wow. I mean, that, that's that's really an incredible stat. So a couple things. Uh, first off, to what you were saying earlier, I do agree with your take on who plays. I think the, the, the threat of having one swing of a bat is so important in the postseason where the margins are so thin. And there's been incredible stats this postseason about the teams that hit more home runs win. And I just think that you need guys that can pounce on mistakes. And basically every game in this series – the teams, like the teams, have won because of the home runs they've hit. So I, I think that that's one thing that's really important. Uh, with regards to what you were saying, um, I it is definitely ingrained uh, it within the fabric of 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 the Atlanta team, unfortunately. But let me give you my reason about why I think that um, why I think that Atlanta will win will win the series. Um, I think that there, there, there's, there's two reasons really. I think that number one, um, if you, 
number one is that the the team, you know, has really outplayed the Dodgers for you know the better part of the series, um, and I get the sense that sometimes it's it's too hard to kind of flip a switch. I, I don't. I, I think it's the Dodgers are more than capable of it for sure. But I think that over due time, I think the team that just is playing better, and the way the Dodgers have, to be honest, looked lifeless really through the first five, you know, four games of the series, in my opinion, performing way below standard. I just don't think that they have it in them to turn it around, given how well Atlanta playing. And and number two is the bullpen. I, I don't think that you're going to see Atlanta blow a lead like they did in game seven last year i think they got their theirs out of the way i think they should feel very confident that if they can get through five innings they can win those close games so i think that to me it it just my gut really tells me that that the braves are are going to win whereas last year not saying it it felt that way but it, it it just felt like it was their time a little bit so the dodgers and i feel to be perfectly honest, like I feel that this way, I feel like this, and I don't want to jinx it, but I, I do feel, and I could be wrong, I do feel like this is the Braves' time. They they seem like they're the best team. They seem like they're going to win the World Series, and I know that that's a lot, but that's what it feels like. Again, Willie, and and, and this. I'll, well, I'll I, say this as a caveat, real quick. Yeah. Atlanta fans should not get their hopes up. However, in my opinion. <laughs> Um, I, I think perfectly honestly that despite the way the other, how weird the other series has been, the American league, and I know we'll, we'll talk about that. I think that either, whichever team gets out of this, including Atlanta should be heavily favored. And I, I don't, I, I, I think that either one of these teams will steamroll the Red Sox or the Astros. That's my opinion. So. Uh, you know, Willie, again, I, I want you to be right. I'm not getting my hopes up. You know, I was thinking yesterday when, when Rosario, when the game ended and, and, or when Rosario went yard and really put the dagger in, you know, I was thinking, okay, if, if this happens, if the Braves go through and go to the world series and win the world series, uh, I said this, to my brother as a joke that I would name my firstborn son, Eddie. Um, my girlfriend did not enjoy that as much as I did, but you know, she's also, she does not care about sports in the slightest. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's 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 because it's one of those things where you know, and it was like I was telling you on Tuesday after Bellinger hit the home run and then after Betts uh, hit the hit the double for the for the lead, I told you Willie, I, I just want one in my life. I just want this. I only ask for one. Yeah. But I know deep down, after seeing how last year panned out and after seeing how this year panned out, <laughs> it's not going to happen. I would like it to, and I would like to be wrong. But I, I say it's not because you cannot keep a team like the Dodgers down for an entire series mm. like that. I mean, they're, if they're going to go down in six games or even seven games, it's going to be with a gigantic fight. Mm. I mean, game six, I think, has the potential to be one of the best playoff games ever wow, based that's... on what's at stake here. Because wow. you have a team that's been knocking on the door, a city, a tortured fan base for the better part of the last forever when it comes to not only baseball, but all the major sports against the preeminent 
dynasty that should be a dynasty but isn't a dynasty in the Dodgers. The deep-pocketed $260 million Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah. With the resources and the, the will to win at the trade deadline to go out and not just trade for a starting pitcher. Not just trade for a solid role player in the infield. Who went out and traded for multiple Cy Young winning World Series champion Max Scherzer in the same deal as one of the fastest players in baseball in Trey Turner, who, by the way, won a batting title this year and is a World Series champion. It's going to be one of the greatest deadline deals ever. This is David versus Goliath in every sense of the word. We're talking about the Dodgers, the 106-win second place, which is still mind-boggling, 106-win Los Angeles Dodgers. They, of the model team in baseball, the preeminent franchise in baseball, against the 88-win, extremely frugal, maybe won't even re-sign Freddie Freeman, lost Ronald Acuna Jr. on July 10th, lost Mike Soroka before the season started, Atlanta Braves. Hmm. It's David versus Goliath. But so far, David has held up his end of the bargain. So, one one interesting thing, Owen, that I want to ask you about what you just said, which is really interesting, right? Which is that, um, you know, I, the way... So, it's interesting. I mean, like, when you see the way that the Dodgers and the Giants, how dominant they were, right? I mean, the only... The easily the best, you know, comparison is the... The 2018 Red Sox, that won 108 games, so more than either of the team, right? But, I mean, those teams, that Red Sox team steamrolled through the postseason. I mean, no team got close to them, and they just walloped every team. And so why do you think it is that the Dodgers have looked so lifeless and and have, have struggled so much in this series? I mean, is there a possibility that, is it just the Braves are a hot team? Is it that the Dodgers and the Giants maybe aren't as good as we think we were? Or is it that maybe, which I do also think is partly true, maybe the Red Sox didn't face quite a stiff competition in the postseason uh, that year? Well, I mean, let's think about who they played. Let's talk about 2018 real quickly. Who did the Red Sox play in 2018? They played the Yankees, four games. Yep. They played the Astros, five games. And they Mm -hmm. played the Dodgers, Five games. Mm-hmm. All three of those teams won a hundred games, mm-hmm. hundred plus. Sure. Or I think was was I think Houston was at or around a hundred, if not a hundred. No, I mean, you're right. They were they were one hundred three. So right. So one hundred eight for Boston, one hundred for the Yankees. That that was that still was also mind blowing. That's up there with the Dodgers this year. A hundred games, second place. Mm. Um, and then the Dodgers. 100-plus games, and they yeah. lost in five to Boston. So that team, I don't think it's a competition. I think they, they actually were just that probably. good. Yeah, but right. we're also wow. seeing the, the, the after effects of that World Series now with Chris Sale kind of not a shell of his former self, but still struggling to get back into that because he was so used, he was overused in 2018 trying yeah. to win that yeah. title. It's never the same after that. Yep. Same thing with David Price. David Price is basically done. He's not even on the roster for the Dodgers. 
He, I mean, like it, it's bizarre that he was an afterthought. Nathan Avaldi, who threw what eight innings in in that game against the Dodgers, game three was it the extra inning game? Seven, I think. Yeah. 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 He threw a complete game in that game, or uh, you know what would have been a normal start in that game, yeah. and we're seeing the effects now. So I think it's one of those things where they were as good as we thought they were. They were just kind of they they gassed themselves. And, you know, they haven't really got back to what they were until this season. And when we do a kind of recap after the World Series, I'll talk about how wrong I was about the Sox this year. I said way back in our preview, they would be lucky to win 80 games and, you know, to not really pay attention, pay a whole lot of attention to them. They're not going to be a force. Here they are, uh, you know, facing elimination, but playing for a shot to go to the World Series. Yeah. Um, But back to back to the Dodgers and the Giants this year. I think I don't think it's fair to chalk up that a team that wins 106 or 107 games isn't facing stiff competition. I think this is saying in the LA sports media as well needs to give Atlanta the respect they deserve because the Braves have one of the best records in baseball after the All-Star break. And that doesn't seem to be part of the conversation. The conversation no. is the Dodgers are bad, not the Braves are good. So it's one of those classic narratives where I mean, and this happened yesterday, too, where uh, MLB's official Twitter page tweeted out a graphic of Julio Urias warming up in the L.A. sun. You know, sun, the you can see kind of the shadows of Dodger Stadium, and there's this, yeah. there's this nice glow. It's a 5 o'clock game time with the caption, it's time for Dodger baseball. So they're not hiding who they want to win this series. They are not trying to sugarcoat it in the slightest. They don't care about the other team that's playing. The other team who at that point had a 2-1 series lead. They care about the Dodgers. But they're not paying attention to who the Dodgers are playing. And I think this is another example of that. I don't think the Braves are going to win. Again, I'm not not picking the Braves to win to go to the World Series. Even though I would love that. But there there is a, a... Braves bias that exists. An Atlanta bias that exists. So that every time they get to a big... Point a Super Bowl, an Eastern Conference Finals, a NLCS. That it, it's this crazy underdog story. It's like, oh, no one could have seen this coming. And meanwhile, Atlanta fans are just like, no, we we kind of did a little bit. I mean, we we watch our team. Do you? Um, <laughs> no, but uh, enough of the satire side, though. I, I do think it is unfair, though, to to say that the Dodgers are just all collectively playing terribly and look lifeless yeah it's the postseason they're exhausted every team is exhausted and it's not Mm -hmm. unbelievable to think that the braves bullpen and the braves pitching staff is good enough to shut down the group of hitters that the dodgers have i mean i I don't think it's a stretch to say that is it going to result in anything material i don't think so but it's not a stretch to just say like hey no the bullpen's been playing really well tyler matzek's been on a tear uh AJ Minter has been solid. I mean, really, the only reliever from the Braves who was solid last year who hasn't followed it up this year was Chris Martin. And, yep. you know, besides, and he's barely gotten any use in high leverage situations. You know, Luke Jackson, say what you will about game three, but he's been solid in the postseason. Not great, but solid. And Will Smith has been outstanding. And I am so shocked that he has been. As good as I thought he was going to be. I mean, yes, he's he's given up a walk and a hit here and there, but he hasn't been the you know instant blown save that he it almost felt like he was throughout the season. Sure. So going back to the original point, 
this is, I think, time to acknowledge that the Braves are good and not focus on the Dodgers being bad. Mm. That said, it is fair to focus on the Dodgers because they are the defending champions and because they did win 106 games, but you have to kind of shift the narrative a little bit if you're part of the sports media. I mean... I, I, I agree, and I think I think that, you know, a lot of it, like you said, is the fact that Braves had they probably the second, maybe the second best record in the second half behind the Dodgers, who just absolutely tore the cover off the ball the second half of the season. I think I saw a stat they won 61% of their games in the second half of the season. And there was an article, and it said they would have won 99 games if they had played at that pace the whole year. So incredible. And I think, like you said, that comes from, you know, people not watching the team as much. And so they, they kind of just look at the records, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what is interesting, it's just, like you said, I, I, I do think the narratives have to shift. You know, we saw it again with the Nationals the year they won. They were just so bad in last place after two months of the season. And then starting in June, just really were good the last four months and made it in the wild card game. They had to win the wild card game. Mm-hmm. So if you're right. If you focus more on how a team is playing, that's great. And it, for me, it feels like everything's coming together for, for the Braves. You know, like you said, like Tyler Matzik and Luke, like Luke Jackson's having a career season. Uh, like Eddie Rosario is playing the best he ever has in his life. You know, you have Jock Peterson, you know, hitting well once again. You have all these guys just playing so well. It, it, it feels it feels like it's their time. It, it, it really feels like it's their time. But one of the things I do want to say, which I, I do think is really interesting, is that to me, what makes the Braves way better than even people would realize, and and this is just perfectly my opinion, is that sometimes teams, no matter how great they are, will still have some holes. And the Braves have no holes in their team other than health in terms of, you know, and injuries. Like I said, like on paper, when, when, when guys are healthy, they have a very good rotation, they have a very good bullpen, and they have a very good lineup. And... And so I just think it's so hard to play teams that can put out not eight, if you're in the National League, eight good hitters. And you have no one to, you know, beat up on. You know, like I said, if it's unfortunate that they had the injuries and they had to pitch Drew Smiley in game four. But Dear um, Lord. I reason I mentioned that is just because even like, yeah, okay, the Yankees in 2018, when I remember watching that series, when the Red Sox beat them. But – same thing with the Yankees. They they never had a good rotation. You know, always a lockdown bullpen, always an elite offense. But the fact that the the Braves have no holes, you know, and, and I think too, like I said, one thing that goes with that, right, is like you see, you know, how well the guys at the bottom of the order can produce. Everyone one through eight in the, in, in the Braves lineup can produce, you know. So I think it's um, I think that's just interesting. No, it's it's a you know it's a nice thing to hear from someone outside of of the Braves, you know, yeah. Braves fandom out of outside of Braves country. But 
I got to say, Willie, um, I, I don't quite agree with the at least the bottom part of the lineup. The top of the lineup, do not mess with that top of the lineup, especially yeah. even if it's not Soler leading off. If it's Rosario leading off, yeah, then and you you got a right hander, you better be scared because you'd have to imagine against Scherzer on Saturday, it'll be Rosario, Albies, Freeman. I mean, I would be surprised to see Jock Peterson hitting fifth. Yeah. Well, but- so. I would say, though, I would say, though, that, you know, like Dansby Swanson hit really well towards the end of the season and maybe more on on capabilities. And Travis Darno had a really down year, but he he hit well in game four. And he's look throughout his career. I mean, he's historic, you know, 2020. Like I said, he, he had a really he, he's a capable hitter. So, I, I you know, mm. maybe it is a little bit of a dip, but. They're capable of, of of hitting well, you know. Willie, I, I'm more surprised when Travis Darno doesn't strike out. <laughs> and that's all that's all I need to say about Travis Darno. Yeah. Like I, I get it. He you know, he had a really good month and a half stretch in twenty twenty in a two month season. Mm-hmm. Uh but he was invisible in the postseason. And yeah. he was invisible to start the year and then he went down with a thumb injury. And then he was invisible after he came back. I mean, you, you talk about a a defense first catcher, and there's your guy. But the offensive side is rough. I mean, yep. watching Travis Darno in a big spot is just you might as well not even watch. Sure, no, that's so. Fair. I mean, and yes, he he did get an extra base hit. I think it was consequential in game one or two where he he ended up getting on base and. And I think he ended up scoring or the pinch runner ended up scoring. It, it, it was just a big spot. But by and large, you can't trust that Travis Darno in a big spot. And look, I, I am hard on the Braves because I want them to be good, but they're they, they continue to to not to not be, you know? And yeah. so sure. it is. But but I, I do I do like that assessment. And one thing I will add, I do want to get to the other playoff games before we talk about our experience at game three. Uh, what I will say about the Braves is that they have maybe the most under the radar gold glove caliber infield defense oh, in baseball. Incredible. Everyone around the infield is a gold glove capable defender. Freddie Freeman's won a gold glove. Mm-hmm. We already know he's good enough. I think Austin Riley at some point in his career can win a gold glove. Yeah. Underrated defensive. He has a very underrated mm-hmm. uh, defensive set of abilities, especially the arm. He has one of the strongest arms from third base that you will see in the National League. Yeah. I mean, probably in baseball, but the National League especially. That's good as range, but like he he does have a strong arm, you know. Right, but but you don't necessarily need need as much range as say a shortstop no. at third. But as long as Arenado's there, though, he ain't winning a Gold Glove. I mean, yeah, he's not gonna win a Gold Glove, but he's that caliber yeah, of yeah. of defense. Yep. Dansby Swanson could win a Gold Glove at short. I mean, yes, this the. The shortstop position in both leagues is stacked, especially with the free agent class. You talk about Trevor Story, Carlos Correa, Corey Seager of the Dodgers, uh, Trey Turner, who's not even playing short right now. Uh, there, there's a lot of good defensive shortstops. But Danzy Swanson needs to be in that in that category because he's heralded more for his defense when he first came up than he was the hitting. The hitting is still yeah. still slowly getting there. He but, reminds me a lot of Andrelton Simmons. I think he's that good on defense. Uh, I I would pretty strongly disagree with you. Simmons is no, no. 
I think offensively, at least right now, he's better than Simmons was when Simmons was the Braves. But Simmons got better once he left Atlanta as far as the mm-hmm. the the ability with the bat. And then Ozzy Albies. Ozzy Albies is a gold glove caliber second baseman, if you ask me. Uh, it, it's not, you know, he's not going to do anything super flashy. But as far as his his fielding percentage and his just general steadiness at the position, I think he's he's more than capable of winning a gold sure. glove in his in his career. So right around there, the infield, that's something that you don't talk about. The three things you need to win in October, pitching, defense, and timely hitting. The Braves have, I think, one and a half of those. I'm still not sold by the the, the pitching staff outside of Max Fried and Charlie Morton. Ian Anderson is still kind of a question mark, yeah. but I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, he's my second favorite Ian. So, and Anoa, too. I mean, yeah. he's pretty good. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, got- uh, no, we're not going to probably see you Anoa for the rest of the postseason, yeah. though. I would which say is a shame. Well. He's, he's fine. When when healthy, yeah. But and this is this is all without Mike Soroka too. That's the scary part if you're a Braves fan is is you know that this team could be even better. And you know maybe it is addition by subtraction because Acuna struggled mightily in the postseason last year. Mm-hmm. So so maybe it is a bit more addition by subtraction. But the point is, I think there's reason for optimism as a Braves fan. But I'd caution any other Braves fan listening to this to. If you if you know your city as well as I do, let's slam on the brakes. Okay, we don't want to cross Peachtree yet. Let's cross Peachtree when it's all said and done. So here's a couple. Here's a, I just want to say a couple things. So first of all, uh, yeah, no, no, for sure. Uh, you're you're absolutely right about the infield. The outfield defense could get better, but the infield defense is literally incredible. I like I said, I, I everyone like I said, Freddie Freeman won a bunch of gold cool gloves, and man, Dansby Swanson, he's just so smooth. When he fields, you know, and Ozzy Albie's incredible. He made a really good play. I forgot. Well, it was even this game too. Mm-hmm. Um, and today he made a couple good plays today. Really good play, yeah. So they're fantastic defense. But a couple of things. Uh, one main point, but real quick, I did just want to say that I do think, and I know with the money and the contract they gave him, I am. I thought. I do think that the Braves could have made a move for Trevor Story and put Swanson in the deal at the trade deadline. I think that would have made sense for the Braves. He would have given them much better hitting. Uh, but anyways, that's for not because he's a little bit of a weak link at times in the bet. I do just want to say that we before we leave this game, we do have to give a little ode to Chris Taylor for yes. incredible performance. To hit three home runs, four hits. I sets all kinds of records and here's a guy who jerry depoto called it the worst movie ever made basically he traded uh uh as the mariners gm traded him to the dodgers for a a pitcher who's not even in the mlb anymore Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he's been a really key player you know as mookie betts said in his press conference let's go everyone needs a guy like chris taylor um and this season, you really had a breakout season. You know, he's having a fantastic postseason, not just in this series. And mm-hmm. he was an all-star this season. He really struggled at the second half. But he's been really good for, for the Dodgers the past three, four years. But he really put it all together this season. And so, man, I mean, what a postseason he's having. I mean, like, if if the Dodgers were somehow to win the World Series— Get through Atlanta somehow, which I still won't think will happen. But this really could go down as one of the best World Series. A, for the 
couple huge moments he's had individually, and then B, I mean, if you just look at his stats in the in the postseason, uh, I had it right here. Yeah, in the in the postseason, uh, this uh, right now, um, he's hitting you know OPS of one point uh, over one thousand, one one thousand two hundred. Uh, batting average of 364, so just incredible. He's tearing the. It's like Randy Rosarina, but you know. Yeah, no, he saw Eddie Rosario's 12 total bases last night and said, "I'll do you one better." Mm. 13 total bases, six RBIs, three home runs. Have yourself a night, Chris Taylor. Uh, it, that was actually a point I wanted to make a little earlier. The role players today for the Dodgers absolutely crushed it. I mean, you're you're talking about your your non-traditional suspects. I mean, if you go based on his performance this season and so far in the postseason, barring the big hits, Cody Bellinger, but Mookie Betts didn't have a gigantic impact on the game. Corey Seager wasn't a huge factor. Will Smith wasn't a huge part of the game. It was AJ Pollock. It was Chris Taylor. It was guys who you would not expect to come in and really help the team just hang on and get the results and eventually towards the end of the game just go black at the left right and center so again this is huge for for the for the rest of the team because you know what you're going to get at Mookie Betts you know what you're going to get at Corey Seager and you know what you're going to get out of out of Will Smith and seeing Trey Turner getting going is going to help the Dodgers as well it's just going to be how how do Pollock Taylor and Bellinger play in game six if they are able to keep this going in Atlanta then they they'll coast through game seven yeah, you make a great point, and I think if you're the Dodgers, I think that they have to stop um, mixing and like mixing and matching. I know Pujols mm. had a couple hits, but I want to see like if I were a Dodger fan, I would want to see Cody Bellinger out there against a, a lefty if if a lefty was in the game. I want to see AJ Pollock hit against righties because he's just so hot. Um, you know, I don't want to see Gavin Lux in the game, even though he's he's done well. You know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to see, you know, I, I think they just, they have to stick with their guns. Like, and like you said, the role players are the key, but I mean, role players, like, like we're talking about a former MVP, you know, <laughs> as a role player. And we're talking about, uh, uh, AJ Pollock, how many all-star games has he made? At least a few. A handful. You know? Yeah. A handful, a handful. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're talking about, like you said, a guy like Chris Taylor, who, you know, has been really good the past few years. And so, yeah, I, I, you're absolutely right about the role players, but, um, it's, and it's the same for the, for the Braves, you know, they, they need some, some timely hits out of all their guys too. The, the scenes, if the Braves walk off in game six on mm-hmm. any kind of hit, let alone a home run by Jock Peterson, that would that would destroy baseball Twitter. I'm just call, I'm just throwing it out there right now. I don't think it's going to happen, but if if by some miracle the do, the Braves walk yeah. off into the World Series off the bat of Jock Peterson, I think the world's going to explode. Kike Hernandez gets the Red Sox in the World Series. Off the- I, if that were to happen, Andrew Friedman was going to be the most embarrassed man in the Dodgers organization. Yeah, I don't think it. Again, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I, I still am pretty convinced that today was the day the Braves needed to win to get over the hump, and uh, it's going to be zero for six. Went up three games to one. So how do you see? Tell me though, how do you see Game Six playing out? Uh, I think Game Six will be a lot like Game Three, 
uh, in the sense, but it's going to come a lot earlier. I think we'll get five strong innings out of Ian Anderson, but the Braves will bring in someone like Chris Martin or AJ Minter in the seventh. Dodgers will put up a crooked number and Kenley will come on and, and maybe load the bases in the ninth, but he'll end up getting the getting the job done. And then game That's seven fun. is and yes. then you know, close game, but Okay. Uh okay. and then game seven, kinda same thing as last year. Braves have Braves have a lead late in the game or early in the game, game tying home run, and then it's gonna be that man again, Cody Bellinger coming up late in the game, wow. game seven. I, I, he just he tortures the Braves in the playoffs. That's all he does. Mm. Well, okay. Well, so, that's that's interesting. I've got the yeah. Dodgers winning that game. Winning that game, four one. Game six. Mm-hmm. And the and Braves the... winning game seven. We do. Well, time will tell. But by the time you hear this, folks, you'll be ready for game six and game seven from Truist Park in Atlanta. And can I just say one thing real quick? Yeah. Uh, I, sorry. I do just want to say, cause we don't know what's going to happen in game six and we don't know if we'll have another pod in between, but, um, who, as a Braves fan, I will just say, could you imagine if they went to game seven with all the pressure, I can't think of a pitcher I'd rather have on the mound. Um, one of them than Charlie Morton. Oh, hundred percent. You want a guy with all that experience in the postseason pedigree, if you're the Braves who, well, probably like we talked about, how much are they going to be feeling the pressure? But the good thing is that starter, you know, he's not going to get phased. Mm-hmm. And yep. and in game three, despite walking a career high number of batters, he was able to get out of five innings with two runs. Yeah. So and and we'll talk about game three in a little bit too. I just want to. Yeah, I just want to say. Yeah. But because of, could you imagine? I mean, I think you'd feel a lot worse if there was anyone else, even Max Fried. Even you could mm-hmm. even say because. If he had the pitch in Game Seven, you're like, how's the pr- how are they going to deal with the pressure, right? So, yeah, right. Because because in Game Seven in 2017, who Charlie Morton pitched what four or five innings in Game Seven at Dodger Stadium mm-hmm. to give the Astros the win. I mean, it, it was incredible. He came in and he shut down that offense, which yep. was unbelievable. Yeah, they only scored one run in the game. They won five to one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Charlie mm-hmm. Morton. Uh, we'll get to Game Three in a little bit though, because I do want to talk. I do want to acknowledge you talked about Kike Hernandez. I want to talk about the rest of. The postseason as it's been right now. We'll go to the other league championship series and then work backwards a little bit. Okay. Houston up three to two against the Red Sox with a chance to go to the World Series tomorrow. Five o'clock Pacific time, eight o'clock Eastern time. Willie, who wins tomorrow? Yeah, I got the Red Sox. You get the Red Sox for us in game seven. Yep. In Houston. Yeah, I think, you know, the, I think, look, I think the, they had one bad game. As expected to happen, but Luis Garcia is going to pitch. I, I think the Red Sox offense is just too good. They they've just been for the most part pummeling the starters for Houston. I I don't think that will change. So mm. yeah, I think they'll win. What about you? I've got the Astros. You do as much as I hate as much as we all should hate the Astros collectively. Mm. Uh, I I think that game three or sorry game four uh, in the ninth inning was such a pivotal moment where the Red Sox didn't get uh, a huge call that they they really needed, mm, and oh, it led to sure. the floodgates opening. Because uh, if, if you're thinking it's 2-2 in the ninth inning, and the mm. and the Red Sox have a chance to walk it off, to, to send it to 3-1 up to, with a chance to clinch at Fenway, that that series is over. So let's, uh, let's, uh, let, let, let's talk about 
let's talk about that game. So, you're referring to game four. Mm-hmm. Game, game four. four. Game four. When the Red Sox are winning, they're up two to one, I believe. And yeah. yes, there is that. They are up two to one. Um, and then, like you said, there's a controversial call. Evaldi thought he had strike three. They didn't call it. Um, Castro gets a hit. They end up pouring on, I believe, seven more runs. Mm-hmm. Went nine to two. Um, I first want to ask about. Um, so, there's a lot to unpack from the series, but but I first want to want to say that I want to just bring this back to the managers for a second. Mm-hmm. So. I was talking about how, and we've talked about, we've had this conversation, right, about the fatigue that the starters get when they pitch out of the bullpen, and it's a, a unique, you know, situation. And we we also talk about that it, it seems like in baseball, when it comes to the, the way that managers deal with with players, that they're always unfairly criticized. But it does seem like there's a narrative and certain managers that everything plays to their narrative. And I do just want to say, because we have to be fair that for example, because we always talk about, for example, how Dave Roberts, I mean, gets so much criticism, but I, I know you could say that, but in my opinion, I don't think, I think that I don't care what they say. And I don't know how it's going to play out. And I know it's easier to sit here and think that. I think it was a completely ridiculous move by Alex Cora to to bring in Nathan Navaldi in that situation. And I think he should be heavily criticized for it precisely for this reason. I, I think that, and I know it's easy for me to say, and I could be wrong, and, and everyone obviously is welcome to disagree. I think that if you're the Red Sox, just like the Braves with the Dodgers, I don't think either team could have expected to win the series in five. I think just the Astros and the Dodgers are too good. And you know Evaldi's going to be pitching in game six. when And now it just so happens that they're behind. And who knows about Evaldi, but if he's not sharp tomorrow, they're done. So in my opinion, I know the, the biggest question mark with the, the Red Sox is their bullpen. But in my opinion... I think that it wasn't the clinching game, and I, I don't see any reason to go for the knockout blow there. Hmm. Uh, particularly, you know, when, you know, in that game, uh, game, you know, game four, right? Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, right? Because at the time that that happened, you know, the, the score was tied. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, like, it's like one thing if you're going to say, well, you're going to bring him in when, like, Game five with the Dodgers, they got to lead. But why, when the game is so uneven, would you bring him in? So I, I just wanted to bring that up because everyone praises Al Cora all the time, but it's not fair if we don't question his managerial decision when it seems like any other manager gets criticism. So I want to no, say No, no, and no manager is immune to criticism. No. I mean, and Brian Snitker should be the most criticized manager, uh, at least – that at least the most criticized Braves manager that the Braves have had since Bobby Cox, Mm. because this is the best team that the Braves have had since the, the Bobby Cox era 
uh, in the early 2000s and the late 90s mm-hmm. when the Braves were consistently playing for chances to go to the World Series. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're right. It, situations like that when you're going for the kill in an, in a non-elimination game are incredibly risky. But that's how the Red Sox lost two playoff games. Th- sorry, three playoff games in 2018. They lost three times. That's it. Mm-hmm. On their way to winning the World Series. And mm-hmm. that is in part because Alex Cora went out there and he put out Nathan Evaldi and he put Chris Sale on in the ninth inning of Game 5 at Dodger Stadium. Because he went, for, he was going for the kill. He has enough confidence and belief in his players that they're going to get the job done and go out and shove when their number is called. The problem is, especially in a non-elimination game when the series could still swing at any moment, and like you're saying, you have a, a team that is still as unfortunately as good as the Astros. You you can't afford to to miss, and unfortunately, the Red Sox that Avaldi missed, and. Yes, it's Cora's fault for making that decision, but the player has to produce as well. So it's one of those, again, where he he didn't make the right choice in hindsight, but at the time, he's instilling an amount of confidence in his player that at that point, you can't solely blame the manager for going out there and making the choice that he had to do. Hmm. It backfired, and we can criticize in hindsight, of course, but in the moment... When you smell blood and when your team the day before put up 12 runs, including a grand slam. Mm. Or was it two grand slams? What? Or, no, it was one grand slam. It was Schwarber's grand slam yeah. uh, at Fenway. Yep. When you when you have that happen the day before, there's that, that little reminder in the back of your head that goes, hang on, this offense is still really good. We are still going to win this game if we put up a zero. Let me go get my best guy and have him put up a zero. The problem is his best guy is not in the bullpen. He's not a, a hybrid kind of reliever. You can throw a, a closer type pitcher you can throw on yeah. in the sixth or seventh inning. Yeah. Or even a closer that you can throw on in the ninth inning. He went and got a starter because he likes his starter stuff. His starter's mostly fresh. He's going to throw him out there and he's going to shove. And it just didn't work. So we can criticize in hindsight and, and no manager should be immune to being criticized in hindsight. But again, hindsight's twenty twenty. So if it works, he's a genius. And the series is potentially over, but it didn't work. And that's why we're in the situation. So it's, I think in, go ahead. Sorry. No, I I think it's just too much focus on one specific thing. When the manager is not the one throwing the pitches, the manager is not the one calling balls and strikes at that point. It's out of his hand. I mean, at, at some point in, in, in team sports in general, you have to take a step back and just look at the players, look at who's actually doing what is being asked of them. I mean, this this is not anyone's first time on a big league mound. This was not Nathan Waldy's major league debut. This wasn't, you know, this wasn't unfamiliar territory. He's done this before, but he didn't get the job done. But I will say it, this. I will say this, though. So you are right. However, about what they did in 2018 and, and how in hindsight it, it's, it's tough to create, you know, you don't know what's going to happen and you could be a genius the other way. But first of all, like I said, I think it's reckless to do it when you're not leading. It's also easier in some ways to do it when you're the favorite because you have more margin for error, but specifically when the Red Sox need better pitching. Like, yes, they have players that can pitch well, but, you know, Evaldi was the best pitcher 
you know, on the team, uh, you know, statistically speaking, you know, during the season. And, you know, Pivetta and, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez, they're okay. But Eduardo Rodriguez is pretty good. But, you know, his area was above four this season. And so I think you know for a Red Sox where pitching is the question mark, you know at a very minimum I could probably with full rest count on Evaldi, if no one else, to give us a good start because you don't know exactly where you're going to get out of the bullpen. And while the pitchers have been pitching well, they're not they're not elite ace-type pitchers. But like I said, when you don't, I, like I said, I, I, I would have felt differently no matter the result if they were winning the game. But because they were they were tied at the game and you know the consequences, I, I just it, you my bottom line is that I don't even care that he gave up the four runs in that game. I care more about if you do that, you know what it's gonna mean for game six. And I just didn't think there was enough upside in that situation to justify that all of a sudden, now the Astros are, are going to get a guy who's really tired. And like I, I, I talked about before, like, to be perfectly honest with you, we don't know. We will never know, right? But, right? but let's be honest. Like I said, like, uh, the main reason why the Braves are beating the Dodgers could honestly be that the Dodgers starters are, are too tired because of the amount they pitched. And I know that it's worked at times in the postseason. But as a manager, when you're going to do that, you definitely open your yourself with criticism, right? Like, like, um, like, I think one of the announcers said, like, you know, like, Max Scherzer, when he complains about a dead arm, that that's really telling, right? And so if Evaldi goes out there and he's not sharp or he's tired, then I, I think there's a lot of questions that, that could rightfully be asked uh, of the manager. Yeah. And, and, and listen, we could talk about this for hours, but I think the most important thing to, to remember here with decisions like this is that it is always a case where, as a manager, every decision you make, especially this time of year, is going to be put under a microscope. If it works, you're a genius. If it doesn't, you're, a, you're all of a sudden out of your mind. You're insane. Mm-hmm. So that's something I think we need to remember as well, because mm. like we're saying, in the case of the Red Sox, say they're not winning. Say, say Evaldi doesn't come in that situation, okay, mm. and someone else gets thrown on. We'll say, we'll say for argument's sake, we'll say they put Nick Pavetta there in the ninth inning. Regardless of who's pitched in that game, this is just another hypothetical scenario. Nick Pavetta's available. They put him in the game. Same thing happens. Mm -hmm. But Evaldi is the game six starter, and he's not tired. But he gets shelled, regardless. Mm -hmm. Should should Evaldi have pitched so that Game Six doesn't happen? Alex Cora made that decision because he didn't want Game Six to happen. He thought we can win this series here and now. It was overly aggressive, sure, in hindsight, and it was aggressive play that didn't pay off. And sometimes that's not. It's not because it's a bad choice objectively. It's just based on how things panned out. It turned out to be not the right thing, but. We don't know at the moment he makes that call that it's the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, what if what if that strike is called, strike three is called, Red Sox get out of the inning, 2-2, two, two, walk it off the bottom of the ninth, and then they have all the confidence going into game five, they win game five. Or even so, they go back to Houston up three games to two. I mean, what's what's to say that 
you know, what's to say that 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 isn't the case? And with the Dodgers, okay, say someone other than Max Scherzer goes out there for the ninth inning against San Francisco. What if they lose that game? Then their season's over. And there's no future to plan for. Managers have to plan for the here and now. The problem is there's more games after that. Yeah. If the here and now goes one of two certain ways. So managers get a lot of the flack for this and and in some places rightly so. But we as fans, columnists, whatever you want to call it, yeah. have the benefit of hindsight. We know based on what happened, this should have happened. Or based on what didn't happen, this maybe could have been the right call. We but but we have the benefit of hindsight. They don't. Obviously, if Alex Cora knew what was going to happen, then he wouldn't have put Evaldi out there. If Roberts knew that Scherzer was going to be so tired mm. for game two, then he wouldn't have pitched in game five. Sure. You know, but but we know that in hindsight, they don't. And so I, I agree that not every manager or that, that managers aren't immune to criticism and they're not, they, they should be criticized as well. But we have to remember as well, they don't, they don't know what's going to happen. They're going based on what their guys think and what they think their guys can do. It's sure. having belief in your players, I think, that is what makes Cora such a good manager. He yeah. made a decision that didn't work out. Mm. But that's not because he didn't trust his players. It's because he did. Maybe too much so. And maybe they get, didn't get a really important call that was pretty blatantly wrong and mm. suffered because of it. But you know you get what i'm saying there's there's a lot of there's a lot of shoulda coulda woulda here and really when when you have to focus on the here and now it's a little bit kind of you know wishy-washy yeah and that's just my take on it well i would say though you're absolutely right about what you said but yeah, I, I, like, I can't disagree. It, it's kind of a philosophical, you know, like you said, like, do you go for the kill or not? And, like, you have, how do you manage, you know, how do you balance the here and now and not? It's tough. It's, it's very tough. Um, I would just say in the case of the Red Sox, right? I mean, in my opinion, like I said, given the lack of upside, but also... What I also think is different about this specific situation, though, and why, in my opinion, like I said, I think it, it was a really bad decision, was if you look at the Scherzer situation, the way the game had played out, the Dodgers had actually had, they did have other guys, but they weren't running out of pitchers. They had used a ton of pitchers in that game. If you look at the Nationals, the Nationals in 2019 had a, a terrible bullpen. They basically had uh, Daniel Hudson and Sean Doolittle. And really, Daniel Hudson would pitch full innings, Sean Doolittle occasionally, you know. But everyone else stunk. And I, I know that the Red Sox don't have a great bullpen, but, you know, they they have other guys in on the roster. I mean, you they have... You know, and I mean, you. I know you. You follow the team all the time, and you want. But I mean, me personally, I mean, you know, they have Darwinson Hernandez, they have Brian Brazier, they have, uh, I believe, Tanner Hawk had a pitch. Hawk had pitched that game. They had is Hansel Robles on the roster still? Mm -hmm. He's pretty yeah. good. 
he was really crucial for them in DS. So that, that's four guys I just named that very easily could have been inserted in the game. Whereas, in my opinion, literally based on the fact that the Dodgers were almost out of relievers <laughs> and the fact that the Nationals had no one, I, I think you could justify it a little bit more. I, I think he was just reaching for, for it unnecessarily. No, oh. that's true. That that's fair. That's fair. It's it's a it's a, a valid point to make, and I think we could we could go on and on about it for sure. Um, sure, but, but I just want to say though, Owen, we we can't forget something though. Like we can't forget that. Like, and I know, I I I think this is my opinion, right? I think that we way overanalyze the bullpen decisions sometimes, but. What makes this different? Like, this guy came in the face. Was this a good matchup? But what makes... I'll just wrap it up by saying... What makes this different, though, is when... This is not a, a bullpen pitcher who, you know, you question him and he gives up a run and whatever. This is a starter who then has to come out and pitch again. So if you burn your guys, your starters in the bullpen, you could almost say that... The next start that he pitches, if he goes badly, it's almost directly on at your fault. Because the counterfactual for Nathan Navaldi could be, I pitched two or three more innings and gave up two or three less runs. And that's all the difference. Right? So, I, of course, not necessarily going to work out that way. But it's fair to point out, like, specifically in this circumstance, how big a deal this is. That, that's all. No, no, no. And, and that, that's a fair point to make. That's it's you know again we could talk about this for for hours. Enough on that point, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So you have you have the Red Sox winning tomorrow. I have Houston wrapping up the series in six games. Yep. What I will say though is that again, and I mentioned this earlier, I had the Red Sox nowhere near this. I had them barely winning eighty games. Like eighty games would be a good season for them at yeah. at the start, but they have proved me wrong. Uh, you know, it, it makes it seem like I don't know what I'm talking about. I didn't have the Red Sox winning more than 80 games this year. I think that's, I said they'd be lucky to do that, and they proved me wrong. I mean, they they dismantled Tampa Bay pretty easily. Uh, and is that due to Tampa Bay having to put rookies in in the postseason? Uh, you know, you could argue it is. And, you know, you can make a lot of arguments against, uh, for it against Tampa Bay, but I think... Just the way the Red Sox got hot towards the the last week or so of the season really helped them, and then beating the Yankees in the wild card game, I think that that is always helpful for your confidence. When you when you play your biggest rival in the wild card game and you beat them pretty handily, you're gonna feel pretty good about going to the next round because it's like, yeah, we we beat we beat these guys, we can beat anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's once the clock once the calendar hits October, it's a different story. Yeah, that was a weird situation with the Red Sox because. It wasn't like they were playing well for very long, like you said. Mm-hmm. I mean, they in fact, they they really collapsed <laughs> uh, for the last few months of the season. And then, like you said, they were able to play well the last week or so and hold off Seattle and uh, the Yankees for that top wildcard spot. Mm. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it really is incredible what we're seeing. And I think... Um, it's a really cool, you know, like the core of the team offensively that, that won the 2018 championship is still there as well as the manager. 
but like there's an injection of new blood like what we've talked about before with Renfro and Verdugo and Kike Hernandez and, and and these guys and so it's it's fun to watch and um but I do just want to ask you on um what do you think about the fact it, it, let me okay let me phrase like this how does a team like we talked about the Dodgers and the Braves and how the Braves outplaying but but the Red Sox really outplayed the Astros for the first four games I mean like yeah. they should have walloped them and the only reason that the 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 Astros basically played three good innings right they they played the in game one when they had that huge inning to come from three runs behind I believe to win and mm-hmm. then in game four they played they scored one run in the eighth and seven in the ninth <laughs> so how do you feel that how do you make what do you make of this like how how does a team that's so thoroughly outplaying the other be down three games to two How's playoff that? baseball it, playoff baseball that's as simple as, as simply as i can put it i mean things change so quickly in this in october i mean i mean look at look at what happened in game three i mean i, w- I want to get to it a little uh, you know in a little bit but but remember what happened when we were there it mm-hmm. hit a little bloop a little dribbler through the right side mm-hmm. for will smith and then a base hit by whoever the next hitter was i think it was was it taylor or pollock it was t- pollock. Uh, pollock and then a homer by bellinger and it was high game all of a sudden, just like that. I, I mean, and then it, Taylor it, got a hit. He stole a base. Beatty grounded him to the right side. And then, uh-huh. Betts and, then and the Mookie Betts. Exactly. So things changed that quickly in October. I mean, yep. they can change that quickly just in baseball in general. But especially in October when every run is so crucial. And, you know, it, it is that kind of thing where if you are not just ruthless and you cannot finish off your opponents with timely hitting and like a big hit in a big spot, then you're not going to win a championship. <coughs> yeah. I think it's as simple as that. Uh, you know, obviously there's there's more nuance to it. Obviously, you know, with the Astros and and the way they've kind of built their team. Uh, but Willie, we got to give credit to Dusty Baker. I mean, he is a exceptional baseball guy. Twenty three hundred yeah. plus hits, twenty three hundred plus wins as a manager. You, you know, you give your hat off to that to, to a guy who can get a team through all of that with all of the 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 fanfare about the cheating scandal mm-hmm. and everything associated with the Houston Astros. Yep. You know, just what what a what a job he's done with this team, and and as much as you want to root against Houston for for what they pulled for the last few years, uh, you kind of do root for Dusty Baker. Yeah, he's a good one of the good guys in baseball mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, um, and you know, for all you know, they um they would send the the Astros would send a lot too with with you know the Verlander injury as well, and so you mm-hmm. know credit to them for. For playing so well, yeah. Um, man, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you on real quick that um, I do just want to mention before I forget, um, I was really surprised that the Red Sox got through Tampa in four games. Mm-hmm. I was I too. Yeah. Talked about, you know, they had a couple of inexperienced pitchers and everything, but I mean. Coming into the to the playoffs, I mean, I think it was pretty clear that the Rays were the best team in the American League, and how 
good they were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, they won a couple of close games. But, I mean, man, I was very surprised that they closed them out in four. Were four you? games against that team that went to the World Series, won 100 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a shame because, we, you know, you would want to see more Randy or Rosarena because he, mm-hmm. he's just a fun player to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, again... I think everything about where we're at in the postseason right now, particularly in the American League, is a huge surprise. The White Sox, we just have to mention them really quickly. I mean, that was probably the most disappointing series I've ever seen out of a team that had so much hype in the offseason. I mean, people were all in on the White Sox this year. I mean, hell, I picked them very foolishly in a a little TikTok I made uh, going through the predictions for the whole thing. Uh, I think I got none of those right. So shows how much I know about baseball, uh, but but on the whole, I mean, just what a what a really disappointing series for them. I mean, they have a lot of guys who haven't really really tasted you know a playoff uh, success yet, true playoff baseball. So that play that you know that certainly plays a part in it. But it it was still just disappointing to see that. Mm-hmm. For sure, it, it was disappointing to see that on and and the I thought I mean. They're, they're, you got to root for the Rays, you know? You got to... Mm, no, I'm good. I'm good not rooting for the Rays. Small market team. Yeah, nah, no thanks. Yeah. Um, yep. Quick word on the Yankees, Willie. Anything you want to you wanna kind of address with them? Um, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, Garrett Cole didn't come through. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm um, sure. But um, I... I, I, I yeah, I mean that 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 is the main talking point of that game. There's no other way around it. Um, you know, I think um, the the one game wild card puts tremendous pressure on anyone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I I, I do just want to say that to me, the Yankees are at a crossroads. I know we can get to it in the off season, Owen, but I'm not really sure where they go from here. There are clear holes in the team. I feel like they've plateaued. It's the rotation, as always. They've they've plateaued, and I know for one game you've got one really good pitcher, but mm-hmm. I, I just feel like they have some big contracts lined up. Um, they have guys they're gonna have to resign some big ones. Um, I don't understand what they're doing and like how it's gonna get better unless they, you know, because the problem is, you know, starting pitching does not come cheap. Mm-hmm. So most of the time you have to get starting pitching through your farm system. So, Unless those guys they have pan out, I mean, I, I think they're kind of stuck, truthfully. Yeah, I, you know, we. It's funny every time I think about the preview we did uh, back in, whenever it was March. Uh, every time I think about that, I think about how wrong the three of us were—you, me, and and Matt—who joined us for that episode, just about how the Yankees were going to look this season. And you know, as someone who doesn't particularly like the Yankees. It was it was kind of funny to see that implosion 
it, it just felt like they never got anything going this season. Yeah, they still made the playoffs, but it just it just felt like they were they were stuck in neutral all year and just were not the same New York Yankees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, they they remember they started the season really badly. And then they played well, but then because the Red Sox were off to such a great start, they were behind. They were always um, fighting, fighting hard, mm. you know, to, to get back. Um, yeah, so um, another disappointing season for them. I mean, particularly how wide open the AL was this year. I do just want to say that um, I'm not – I think that – even more surprising, though, than the Giants was, um, I do just want to acknowledge how great the Mariners played all year. And, um, hmm. I mean, this, you know, the Giants with their postseason history, I think everyone would expect that more than, than the, the Mariners winning over 90 games and <laughs> and just missing out on the last day. Yeah, I mean, 107 wins is still ridiculous for the Giants, though. But, but yes, you're right. I mean, given their given their recent history, it, it was a surprise season take it all the way to the last day of the season and, you know we obviously would have wanted to see them in in the postseason but uh you know maybe next year maybe they've they've gotten close enough that they they want to add a couple more pieces maybe jared kelnick has a big breakout year next year you know we'll talk about that all in the preview uh next off season mm-hmm. uh let's briefly talk about the cardinals willie because mike schilt was fired the other day and that came as a surprise to me for a team that won 17 straight games and had a ridiculous end to the season. I mean, they were the hottest team in baseball, I think, bar none. Uh, and to have it end the way it did was just, it, it's gut-wrenching for the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm not really sure. And I'm curious to see, there's probably some great pieces in The Athletic that have inside sources and that kind of stuff. <laughs> Why that happened? Clearly... They felt that they just need to get over the hump. Uh, but given the fact that the Ash, the Cardinals went on that huge, how long was that winning streak? At the 17 second? games. 17 games. I think they were 22-3 and three in their last 25 games. Yeah, so 22-3, and three, just absolutely incredible. Um, given the fact, you know, they were in the NLCS uh, just a few years ago, um, they must have felt that, a different mind getting better. But then again, I think the problem though, in my opinion is this, I think that it's hard to say we'll never truly know, but I think that there are, let me ask you this one. How many excellent, like top tier managers would you say in the MLB? In my opinion, I mean, there's really, and I'm talking about right now, not based mm-hmm. on pedigree yeah. and, and past history. Um, I really think, and I know this is gonna this is gonna sound crazy, but given like given the track record of excellence in like multiple years and everything, I think Alex Cora is the only excellent manager. Like he makes mm-hmm. a huge difference. Yeah. I don't think that there's any other manager in the MLB, to be honest, that's, like, excellent. So mm, my point I'd say I, Dave Roberts is in that discussion as well. In I'd, that, I'd say that's pretty disrespectful not to have him in that discussion. Well, I would say this, though, right? I, I, 
that may very well be very disrespectful, right? I'm sure I, I think he's an excellent manager. The only reason I, I say that top tier, like the Klops, the Guardiolas and all that is because the Dodgers with Don Mattingly were winning division titles every year and nine mid nineties games every year as well. Yeah. Did they go to the World Series? No. Yeah, there it is. There's the difference. The difference is they they got they got over the hump with Dave Roberts. Sure. Before Dave Roberts, look at where they were. They were they were, you know, high eighties, low nineties. They were a good team. They were winning division titles. They were going to the playoffs, but they weren't challenging for pennants. They weren't challenging for the World Series. This Dodgers team has been to three World Series in the last four years, not counting this year. Okay, yeah, that, that, you know what you're that, right. I mean, that you have to give props to the manager oh, for that. Right, you're right. Sure. Yeah, you're right. I mean and so, so then, yeah. I, I guess you're right. I'll acknowledge you're right on that one. Uh, that is very disrespectful on my part. He's an excellent manager. <laughs> no, it's it's it, you know, but it, it's but not like it's not, you said, know what I mean. I don't understand how they think they can get someone that's that better than Schilt. You know, I, I I like. I wonder who they would go for. And then again, like sometimes these younger managers in the, in baseball, you always debate like, do you want to go for the younger? Or the more experienced guy, but that can go both both ways, right? You have Gabe Kapler, you know, uh, on his second stint, relatively young. The energy was really good, uh, clearly this season. But on the other hand, you know, uh, Jace Tingler was kind of a younger guy, a little bit outside the box, higher, without experience. That didn't go very well. He was mm-hmm. fired. Yeah. So I'm not really sure. If they are looking to go, I don't know, to more – I'm not really sure what the problem is, but I, I don't really know who they could get that would be. Yeah, I mean it, it doesn't really it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Uh, from my perspective, I mean it, Schilt is a good manager. I mean he was obviously the, the interim after they had fired Matheny, and they ended up going to the NLCS in 2019. But it, realistically, getting a manager that will really get you over the hump when you have the Dodgers to deal with, when you have – the Giants to deal with when you have the Braves and the Brewers. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of competition just at the top, not even mentioning the mid-tier. And it's tough. It's really tough to get to to, to make it to October. So, it, you know, maybe they know something we don't. Maybe maybe Mike Schilt lost the, the locker room at the end of the season. Maybe the way it ended was... I, I don't know what it was, but it just it just didn't seem... It didn't seem to make a lot of sense, but... At the end of the day, you know, I think the the Cardinals will still be fine. They'll still they'll still challenge for divisions and they'll still be right there. But it's, I, I do just want to say one name that I find. Uh, I do just want to mention real quick that um, there's a lot of really interesting names that have floated around for this this possibility, and uh-huh. there are a couple of them are like really experienced, not MLB managers, but 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 you know, assistant managers or managers of that rose their way up. But I think there's some really interesting uh, names. Um, one of them being Carlos Beltran. Will he get another? Obviously, he was implicated or some and somehow in the scandal. And then remember, he was going to be the manager of the Mets. Mm-hmm. Um, so, hey, you know, they clearly felt that, that, that he was great. So... That could be an interesting name. And I think, um, you know, Skip Schumacher is a name that's getting a lot of attention, mm-hmm. who I always liked watching as a player. Yeah. Uh, was um, an assistant coach for the Padres. 
So I think we could get a really interesting uh, hire, Mark McGuire. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, those are those are a few names that that Cardinals fans remember. So mm-hmm. there's there's a, a world of possibility there for the Cardinals. Uh, so we'll just see how they go or how they you know what direction they go in. Um, quick note on the Brewers, Willie. Before we before we go, I, I do want to mention that we talked about the Giants a little bit, how they were, uh, you know, how good of a season they had it this year. Uh, they talked about it in the TBS broadcasts a lot. They had a habit of getting these really close one-run games and and not batting an eyelash. Being able to win those games is huge this time of year. But you know when you have the steamroller that is the Los Angeles Dodgers, your biggest rival as your your first round opponent, uh, you know it's going to come down to the wire. Um, Flores definitely checked his swing, and Giants fans are going to hate hearing that, but. Mm. You know, it, 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 I think on the balance of play, the Dodgers just had the edge in that series, mm. um, especially in, in game five. But, you know, ultimately, it, it's a sour taste in your mouth for sure. But it was like Gabe Kapler and even Darren Ruff said it. You know, a check swing got us there and it's you know, a yeah. check swing ends you. You know, the ball, the ball finds you. It's, no, all, it's all it is to I it. Say, I will say this, though. On, <laughs> on one hand. I don't think it's fair that we even complain because it's such a hard job and everyone makes mistakes in life man mm-hmm. players make mistakes all the time during games we don't talk about we only talk about when umpires make one mistake yeah. and it's, the only unfortunate thing about it is now it'll always be remembered like like the pass interference game yeah with orleans and the rams a few years ago like hate to see it you hate to see it but there could be fans like 10 15 years being like you remember that year that was the year the, the check swing year so it's just yeah. a shame in that sense that it wasn't decided but you're up and and that it had to come on the last out you know right right another out no one ever would have talked about it exactly exactly it's it's the thing that sucks is it's not the fact that it it was a a bad call it's the fact that it ended the game like that Uh, i think that's that's the point that aggrieved a lot of giants fans and rightly so i mean listen any fan would be in your position any fan would feel the same way uh and it's not far-fetched to believe to feel really hard done by in that scenario. Yeah, and I would, I would, I would, I would be interested if the MLB maybe institutes a rule, you know, where I don't know somehow in 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 maybe the they don't want to slow the game down too much, but maybe in the eighth or inning or later, if there was certain unreviewable calls, they could become reviewable by the league in New York City. Yeah, the whole reviewable, non-reviewable thing that that played a role in Milwaukee, but thankfully it didn't impact the outcome of the series. That would have driven me insane well, if it changed the series. That's a perfect example, right? No one's yeah. talking about that. Mm-hmm. Right? But, yeah, but, but that's only because it, it proved to be inconsequential uh, in the grand scheme of things. With uh, with Frederick, he he of Villa Park, California, growing up an Angels fan, ironically, uh, Frederick Freeman hitting the home run off Josh Hader to send the Braves to this series where they have a three to two with advantage Max, as it stands with Max Fried growing up in Santa Monica. And uh-huh. Max getting, Fried growing up a Dodgers fan and uh, yeah, pitching and laying an egg. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But you know, they, we could talk about that all the time, uh, you know, for, for hours from now, but Willie, you and I were lucky enough to go to Dodger stadium. Yeah. You yeah. and I were lucky enough to be there when You got to witness firsthand why it is that every time we talk about Atlanta, whether it's the Falcons, the Braves, the Hawks, or UGA, anytime we're talking about one of those four teams, that the first 
general sentiment out of my mouth is negativity. Mm. Now you know why. Yeah. You you saw it in person firsthand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Going from oh my god, the Braves could go up three zip on the Dodgers in a best of seven to it's happening again. Yeah. Just like that. I mean, listen, that place was loud. It, it was a, objectively, it was a ton of, it was the favorite bit, my favorite baseball game I've been to besides the World Baseball Classic. Um, it was a ton of fun just to be there. I wanted the Braves to, to not choke, but that place was loud. It was, it was, Dodger Stadium is a, a great place to be for a playoff game. I'll just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a historic game. We're lucky to go to. We'll always remember. And, um, yeah, and I, I think, A, some people were saying that was the loudest. I think one of the players said that was – maybe Dave Roberts actually said that was the loudest he's ever heard Dodger Stadium when Bellinger hit that home run. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you could also see with the Atlanta sports, right? You could just say – it seemed like like there was no chance the Dodgers were going to win that game. Like I said, they just seemed lifeless. And then all of a sudden, like you said, just after just literally in the span of five minutes, they just threw it away. So you're absolutely right. Uh, experiencing a playoff game in October and seeing the Atlanta dynamic is um, incredible, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and and see, this here's the one thing that really – you know, the more I sit back and think about it, that really feels like a punch in the gut. Charlie Morton walked the bases load in the first inning, gave up a home run to Corey Seager, in the second bat of the game, and somehow made it through five innings, giving up two runs. When he got out of that first inning with just two runs and the Braves eventually took the lead, that's when I thought, hang on, this feels different. This could be different. This could actually be different than last year. It doesn't feel like this is the same thing is going to happen. But then what do you know? Just a few hours later, eighth inning, Luke Jackson tries to challenge Cody Bellinger out of the strike zone, and he misses over the heart of the plate. Out of the strike zone, up, but over the heart of the plate. Mm-hmm. You just can't do that. And and I I remembered, all I remember, Willie, is just the deafening sound of Dodger Stadium mm-hmm. and having my head in my hands, hat spiked on the ground, jersey half open, I mean, it was, it, it was, I was a sad boy when that happened. Mm. I was very sad. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, <laughs> for sure. I mean, that was, uh, you were a sad man. Very sad. Uh, for sure. The stadium was going raucous. And, um, I just want to say that, well, I thought the crowd was subdued for, most of the game, mostly because of the way the team is playing, but also because of the time of the game. It was an afternoon game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a reason why Dodger Stadium, A, the Dodgers play so well there, and why it's <laughs> they get the highest attendance in the league. And everyone talks about wait till you see Dodger Stadium during the postseason. So it was an honor to go, mm-hmm. but also you can see why, you know, you can see why it, it's got this legendary history of, of being the yep. toughest to play in the postseason, you know? Mm-hmm. And it has this aura about it, I think, too. No, it, it definitely does. And and 
you know, I first said this when I first moved out to LA and went to a Dodgers game for the first time. I said, you know what? This is different. This is not a usual baseball game. This isn't a baseball game. This is a Dodgers game. And that sentiment, I think, still remains for me. Because I remember going to Braves games at Turner Field, and, it, you know, it felt like a baseball game. There were parts of it that were quiet. Parts of it were fun and exciting. You know, home runs were cool to see. Uh, I was there for... Uh, it was a... Sh the Braves got shut out by Justin Verlander, and it was like going to church. It was crazy quiet that day, but Justin Verlander, was, it was when he was with the Tigers. It was unbelievable. Um it's just it just has a different feel to it and it was you know it was an honor to just be able to go and mm -hmm. go to dodger stadium and experience that true playoff atmosphere for the first time because i've never been to a playoff game before that and it was mm -hmm. it was an incredible experience i mean i, I could talk about the, the pros and cons as well but just the experience of being there and being able to see the atlanta braves in person uh do what atlanta teams do in that manner uh you know i, I don't think i expected or I, I, I don't think I, I didn't expect the what to happen, the blown lead at the end of the game, but I think the how is what's most gut-punching to me. Mm. Uh, just the way that that whole thing went down. Well, but we're just lucky to go because, yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, I feel like whatever happens, I mean, this will be one of the, I mean, one of the better postseason games, recent memory. You know, I, I feel like every series in the postseason becomes legendary. And that was definitely the game, I think, unless something like that people, at least thus far, will remember years from now in this series, no matter if they win or lose, you know? Um, so you're right. It's different. It's different at Dodger Stadium. The fans are so passionate. Like you said, like, basically, other, you, I think you characterize it exactly right. A lot of teams, they feel like baseball. You know, it, it, there's entertainment and it's experience, but it can be a little quiet. But, like, the Dodgers fans, they're there to watch the game, cheer for their team. They're so loud. It's an energy. Like, they, they are really one of the most passionate fan bases in baseball, for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The the one thing I will say, Willie, before we kind of put a bow on on today's episode and get our listeners ready for Game Six and Seven from Truist Park in Atlanta, I will say though the one thing that rubbed me the wrong way about about Dodgers fans at the game was how, at least in our section, we heard a lot of boos for Jock Peterson, mm. and to me, for a player who came up with the organization was such a big part of all of their big playoff runs, including last year, who was not offered a contract by the team. This is not him not wanting to stay. This is him not being offered the chance to stay by Andrew Friedman and and being treated like he's some villain who went to the Giants because he wanted to go play for the Giants. I mean, this that to me rubbed me the wrong way. It, it, it'd be like if say, I don't know, Travis Darno has a big hit for the Braves in this series, but he's not offered the chance to stay next year, and then he goes to, like, the Phillies, and he gets booed by Braves fans. I mean, that I don't think would happen. If, if you do something, um, you know, if you help a franchise get over a, a hump that they've had since 1988, mm -hmm. and, and then you're not offered the chance to stay and then when you come back for a visiting team you're booed 
it, it's a, it reeks a little bit of of the toxicity of Yankees fans. It's very much a "What have you done for me lately?" Not mm-hmm. "What have you done for me?" Mm-hmm. And, and that to me, you know, yeah. it's a little off putting. But I can't say I'm I'm completely surprised at it. And it, it makes it it does make sense. You know, when you're playing against another team and the other team is the team in your way of you going to the world series again. I mean, Austin Riley got booed. He didn't play for the giants. He just had an incredible year and people just recognize how good he is. And so they're just trying to get in his head a little bit. I understand that bit, but for Dodgers fans to do that to Jock Peterson and then to do that to Kenley Jansen earlier in the season, uh, to me, it was a little, it was a little suspect. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I completely agree on, I think, you know, you should not boo a player like that who's done so much for you and was one of your own. Like you said, drafted, came up, was a heralded prospect for a long time, particularly like when you're not booing the rest of the team. Mm. So I, I, I completely agree that it was um, really sad to see, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I agree. That also kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Um, fans can get we you know can get a little crazy and like you said what have we done for me lately and um, I don't know I would have at least liked to see a cheer at the beginning because mm. a lot of times what will happen is you know either when they introduce your name and we weren't there at that early but right you know, I would have liked to see if it didn't happen I would have liked to see at least some type of cheer at the beginning whether it's before the game or during the game. And then, you know, hopefully they won't boo, but they can go back to being a fan. But usually when a player like that, they'll receive some positive. But, yeah, I, I agree. I thought it was um, too much uh, for that. And, I mean, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, uh, they'd probably do that for Kike. And I'd, I want to see how the Red Sox fans will treat, you know, Mookie Betts, if that yeah. was as well. Which, yeah. I man, think the Dodgers... If they, I cannot imagine, I don't think they will, but can you imagine if they booed Mookie Betts? I mean, wow. Oh my God. I, I, I see, I don't think they would unless he hits like four home runs in a game against them. Then they would probably boo him. And, and I mean, if, come on, rightly so. It, that would be historic, literally. But yeah, it, I don't know. And I know it's not representative of the entire fan base's sentiment about one player, mm-hmm. but it, it just leaves a sour taste in your mouth as a baseball fan who can appreciate something like the the kind of production that jock peterson gave the dodgers while he was part of the team you know it's just like this guy has done a lot for you you know show some appreciation you can heckle him a little bit but but you know to to display that kind of that kind of behavior i think was a little bit uncalled for uh Mm -hmm. but you know i i'm not a dodgers fan i didn't watch my team win a championship last year i I wouldn't i I, you know i wouldn't know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so completely agree being there, Willie, was an incredible experience, and I'm just happy yeah. that you were there and I, with me. I, and I do just want to you know. say one quick thing before yeah. we move on to the hot takes. Um, this, uh, my dad says that actually the way that the series plays out, and we could we could get in this, but it reminds him a lot of the last time the Braves won the World Series when Cleveland played the Braves. He just said that the the series played out exactly like it's playing out right now. So I just thought that was interesting. You know, I hope your dad is right because when the Braves won the World Series in 1995, you and I were nine months old. Mm-hmm. I have not watched the Braves play in a World Series 
since I was four years old, I wasn't even a sports fan at that point. No knowledge of anything sports related. Mm-hmm. I didn't get into Bra- into the Braves baseball until I was six. Didn't pick up the Red Sox until I was about seven, maybe eight. And then it's been oh. all in ever since on, on the Braves and the, and the Sox, mostly the Braves nowadays, uh, just because they, you know, when you're home from you're away from home for so long, you, you kind of long for something that, you know, used to be part of your childhood. So it is mm-hmm. what it is. Anyway, I hope your dad is right. That's mm-hmm. all I'm saying. I hope mm-hmm. he's right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if history repeats itself like last year rather than like it did in 1995, then I will be sad, but not completely surprised. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. All right, Willie, it's time for the hot takes. Yep. Hot takes. And sure. I, I don't know how many you have, but I'm going to keep mine. I'm going to try to keep mine specifically baseball related. Yeah, same. I, I decided for today to keep uh, baseball. So related. I guess it's not quite a hot take. Um, hmm. It's more of a disappointing take. Uh, but Tatis is going to win MVP this year. Yeah, I, I think um, I just... And the reason he will is is because of the first four months of the year, the the highlight real moments. Uh, if you ask me, the most deserving player of the MVP award, and obviously this might be a little biased, but it's Austin Riley. I mean, what player among the front runners for MVP per- produced that consistently for his team all year and was one of the main reasons they went to the you know they went on the run that they did towards the end of the season. I mean, Riley, Freddie Freeman, Ozzy Albies, and in some cases Duvall, but mostly those three, the first three. I mean, yeah. and, and and without Riley, who knows where the Braves are right now? Probably at home. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, that is definitely a uh, both that are really interesting. I would say it's a hot take for sure to say Riley deserves the MVP. <laughs> I think he'll get votes, but I don't know. I I do think Tatis is the pretty clear favorite, you know. Um, so that's interesting. Um, I would just say, though, that um, I don't know. I think it's important to remember it's a regular season award, and um, – you know, I, I do think given that both teams, you know, given that the Braves weren't the Dodgers, the Giants in record, and, and given Tatis's offensive numbers, you know, I I think he's probably the deserved MVP. But, I mean, that's a very interesting take right there. I'll tell I you mean, that. Riley hit for a higher average. He had, I believe, more RBIs. And... He had a better defensive record in terms of defensive run saved, at least according to baseball reference. Well, then part of the question we've talked about before is how much do you value defense, right? Mm -hmm. If you value defense, then then Riley, that's a huge boost given how good. And and I would say because he's also a a third baseman, it's pretty huge because third base can be the difference between an out and a double. Yeah. So, you know, it. That's that's my take on it. I, I I do think Austin Riley is the most deserving, not just because he, he plays for the Braves, but because he produced all year at a high level, especially in the second half of the year. Mm. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, Tatis 
is is going to win the award. I think I would be shocked, thoroughly shocked, if Austin Riley won last year. I mean, I was shocked when Freddie Freeman won last year because for whatever reason, the national media does not like Atlanta. If you play for Atlanta, they they don't like you for for whatever reason. I don't know what it is. Like Freddie Freeman is from Villa Park, California, in Orange County. It, it, it's not because he's from the South. I, I, that can't be it. And well, quite a few Braves are from from overseas, specifically Latin America. Like Acuna Jr. is Venezuelan, Rosario's Puerto Rican. Yeah. You know, it's hilarious. Hilarious. Solaris Cuban. Yeah. Already is Cuban. Yeah, lots of diversity on the team. You know, we got players from all over. Yeah, which is which is great. You know, and um, yeah, that that's great. Um, so, that's my that's my take on the MVP award, though. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Bryce Harper won it because apparently Bryce Harper is also more deserving. But it's a little bit of a stretch. But, you know, maybe he'll get a couple votes. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay, we can we can, uh, we can can rotate. Um, That's all uh, I had. Yeah, no problem. So I'm going to give a couple takes. Some more substantive based on theory and some based on guts. Okay. Right. Let's hear theory first. Prediction. So my first hot takes prediction. So I think that like I said, I think the Braves will win the series in Game Seven, and and they will win the World Series before. But my my hot take is that I think that the Braves in Game Seven will 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 win three to one, specifically with a go ahead home run from Travis Darno. Wow, you are picking the most anemic hitter on the Braves' offense to be the difference maker. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay, uh, Willie. If, if you're right, then then immediately buy a lottery ticket. I'm just I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. That that is a huge shout. Mm-hmm. My gut's telling me Oni's been hidden a little bit better in this series, just a little bit. Except he's you know the the new Nick Markakis. Oh. And you know how I feel about Mr. Markakis. Poor Nick Markakis. Poor uh, poor Nick Markakis. Poor Nick Markakis. How about poor Braves fans? Uh, yeah. The number of times he went, he struck out swinging against the Dodgers last season. I, I watched the highlights from the ALC, the NLCS last year, uh, pretty recently. He struck yeah. out swinging way too much. Yeah. Like, it, it's a very basic little league baseball piece of instruction. If it looks like it's too close to hit, or it's too close to take swing, but don't get caught guessing. Wow. Just okay. protect, react. Okay. Act and react. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. What, you got another one? That's all I got. Okay. I'll give you, um, I'll give you, I'll give you a couple more. Okay. So, um, first of all, uh, here's my, uh, here's my next one. Um, I'm going to predict next year's MVP already mm-hmm. next year's MVP and you know like you said I mean if my Braves prediction is um is uh you know wrong maybe it'll be right I don't know but like that looked pretty good so I'm, I'm just gonna go out and give away too early you know MVP <laughs> prediction for next season what do you got 
Okay. Why don't you tell me? I actually really like this player. So why don't um, I don't really talk about him that much? Because you know he's not always in the news. But but why don't you guess who I, I I'm gonna pick for next year's MVP? For National League? Um, TBA. That should tell you part of them. Oh. Yeah. Otani? No. Mm, I'm stumped. No. I'm going to say Cattell Marte. Wow. He's one of my favorite players. Cattell Marte. And, um... I believe he's a free agent. He might have one more year on his deal, but I think he's a free agent. There's a lot of talks about him being moved, and I think just him, him getting out of Arizona, will be for and he'll he'll show his skills. Gotcha. In City. Okay. Well, I mean, he's got the tools, so. Okay. And um, here is my last. Here is my last um, hot take. That is uh, uh, base, baseball related. Okay. Yeah. So I'm trying to think about um, if I really want to say this because it is kind of a very hot take in my opinion. But um, okay. But uh, whatever. Okay, I'll go. I'll go and say it. Okay. At the risk of sounding, at the risk of sounding, at the risk of sounding dumb. Um, if you're not counting a rod, I mean, if you want to count a rod, then, then okay. But, and this is gonna sound crazy, but you know how I feel about it. So if you're not counting a rod. Because he did play third base for the Yankees. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a real chance that Carlos Correa will go down as the best shortstop of all time at the end of his career. Given how good he is at because, you know, Derek Jeter was not a good defensive player and that matters to me. That like that really matters to me. And I know I know he had three hits. I know he had three hits, but Owen. Let's if you go through the best shortstop of all time. Um, well, let me ask you this, Owen. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, Ozzie Smith, great defense. I wouldn't necessarily want him at the bat. You know, Barry Larkin. I think Carlos Correa is maybe more talented than, than Barry Larkin. Cal Ripken uh, Jr. Um, he was very durable and a fantastic player, but um, you know. I think Carlos Correa might be comparable in skill. Um, you know, Robin Yount. I don't know. Well, you tell me. You tell me your thoughts on what I just said. I mean... I will say I will count A-Rod as the best if you count him as purely a shortstop. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's a pretty big shout, and it's a change to the modern-day shortstop, you know, someone who's a lot bigger. Mm -hmm. uh, bigger and stronger, but I I don't know. I mean, I, I don't even think he's the best shortstop in his free agent class. Mm. I mean, 
Who would that Corey be? Seager is a World Series MVP. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know. Really, it's, 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 it's a bold take. I'll give you that. It's, it's a very hot one. I won't deny that. I mean, oh, and he has. I, I know he's got to get a, you know, an MVP or two or whatever. But, you know, he's gotten a couple All Star appearances. He has Gold Gloves. I mean, you know, he has, like you said, in terms of the modern day shortstop. I mean, he's he's got massive power, for a a shortstop. Um, yeah. And so, like you said, it's the new age shortstop. But like I said, on the reverse, if you value the collective package of both offense and defense and power, I think it's a really unique skill set that part of it's the way the game is today, but part of it's not. Mm. You know? And yeah, uh, and yeah so that, that's, uh, that's interesting, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like that, that question you posed a few weeks ago. Where, where who would you have more uh, optimism in having a better career, Lindor or Bellinger? Reminds me of that a little bit. Well, I'll tell you what, Bellinger. Are you back on the Bellinger, the Bellinger stuff? Um, I, I think so. I, you know, it's never that I hated Cody Bellinger. It's more so I didn't get the hype around all of his play. In October, he's another story entirely. At least after the. Uh, the first couple seasons. Yeah. Um, that, that's fair. That's fair. Um, that's fair. I do just want to say real quick, Owen. I really yeah. just, I just want to say real quick that, um, you know, I, 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 okay, let, let, let me, let me ask you this. I think it's, unless I'm missing someone and you tell me if I'm missing I think given the way Lindor regressed this season, I think just for now, I think it's pretty clear that there's only two shortstops that are in their own tier. That would be Corey Seager and, and Carlos Correa. But given Corey Seager's injury problems, you know, I think Correa is the more reliable player. And given the fact that Trey Turner is now a second baseman or outfielder. So I don't know. Is there any other shortstops that you think – that I, I miss there that come to mind. You know, wow, the, those guys are really good. I mean, Correa is probably the most consistent of that bunch. Yeah. If I'm honest. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you really would be hard pressed to find someone who's miles better, but I, I, it's, it, you're, it's so close. It really is. All, all the whole discussion. But greatest of all time, no, I think that's that's a wild stretch. Mm. So is that it compensates okay. that's a take hot enough for the both of us. Well, let me ask you this though. In yeah. all in all seriousness, okay? Yeah. What happens if he's twenty seven years old? Mm-hmm. He's already had three or four excellent seasons. Yeah. What happens if for the next seven years he hits 25, 30 home runs, you know, 300 hitter and wins five gold gloves. He, he's very well capable of it. Then what? That's true. Jeter's gold gloves are ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Here we go. 
It's the segment where we rag on Derek Jeter, folks. And and I just want to say one thing, okay? What happens? I mean, I, I hate to say this, but what happens if the Astros win? In that span, win two or three World Series, then all of a sudden, now the winning part, Correa will have three or four World Series titles, right? So, just saying. It's no, possible. You're right. You're right. I know it sounds like crazy now, but maybe in seven or eight years, it, it could be true. Yeah. No. It. It. It's. It's one of those takes we'll we'll have to, we'll have to check in in our, our mid thirties, Willie, and and see what's what the deal is. Yeah. Uh, but that's a long way away from now. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I got. <sighs> Greatest Carlos Correa of all people. Wow. Yeah. Well. Willie, I think that's how you know we have to we have to wrap this episode of of Hot Takes Only, episode forty four, to be precise. Uh, any final thoughts? Any last takes? Uh, I already got mine out, and it's not all that hot of a take. It's just been—it's one I've had on my mind for quite a bit. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I would say that um, <laughs> the, you know, the Red Sox Yankees game was one of the highest-rated MLB games in years. Mm-hmm. But if it was, if Dodgers played the Astros, that might officially oh break the telecast. That, that'll break it. That'll break the internet. The revenge game at Dodgers, the revenge games at Dodger Stadium would be insane. Oh my god, those would be insane games. Unfortunately, well, unfortunately or fortunately, but I put it, Joe Kelly got injured. It seems like, right? Yeah. (laughs) But either way, sales of sales of trash cans in LA would go up exponentially. Just banging on drums, left banging on the trash cans, left, right, and center. So we'll see how everything uh, everything pans out. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, but folks, this has been episode 44 of Hot Takes Only. We haven't done an episode in a long time between me moving and, and Willie and school and my own work stuff. And we haven't had an episode in a long while, but we're back at it today. Hopefully getting ready for game six and hopefully not game seven, but if necessary, game seven of the NLCS within the Braves and the Dodgers from Truist Park in Atlanta this coming Saturday. As always with the podcast, you can get this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts, you can get this as well as anchor.fm slash hot takes only. That's all one word. Uh, And also be sure to follow us on Twitter at HTO podcast for as much real time uh, tweeting and updating as we can do, but no promises on that because there's literally just two of us. So, Yep. It is what it is. So, for Willie, folks, I'm Owen. Thank you for listening. This has been episode 44 of Hot Takes Only. We'll see you in the next one.